All right, how you doing? My name's Matt Barr and you're listening to episode eight of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. It's my podcast where I try and uncover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. So as ever, thanks for listening to and or downloading the podcast. I appreciate that. If you're a new listener, then welcome. If you're an old listener, I'm sure you know the drill by now. So today I have got Christian Stevenson, also known as DJ Barbecue. So when I first started planning who I was going to interview for Looking Sideways, Christian was one of the first people on the list. And yet, in what's becoming something of a catchphrase for this podcast, I have known him for a long time, so I should probably get that out of the way now. I've known him since the early 90s, I would say. And as long as I've known him, Christian has lived out one of the most varied and frankly mental careers ever. And for me, life is like Christian, a kind of the glue of the action sports scenes, more than the big names and the athletes, really. Someone like Christian, as you're going to hear, has followed and leveraged his passion into, like I say, just a mental career. If you look at his CV, as we will do, you'll see what I mean. Sure, latecomers might know him as DJ Barbecue with his huge social media follow- following and Jamie Oliver's number on speed dial. But the reality is Christian's been involved in the action sports scene for the last three decades, really. And over that time, he's done a lot. He's been a skater, a snowboarder, a filmmaker a team manager, a DJ, a BAFTA award-winning TV presenter, a voiceover artist, a best-selling author, and he's evolved into what he's best known for today, which is a renowned live fire chef, which is, I'm sure, what he'd uh, prefer to be described as. So that lengthy CV and experience is obviously one good reason to get Christian on the show. But the other good reason, and the reason that I had him down on the initial list, is because Christian Stevenson is a storyteller without equal He's a bon vivant, he's a connector, he's a shameless name dropper and he's an absolute show off. In short, he's fascinating company and as you'll hear, he did not disappoint. So since I started this thing, I've made a real effort to contextualise some of the conversations and the names mentioned to give everybody listening the best chance of following the thread because I know these things can get a little bit name droppy and in jokey at times. And I must say, in this case, I have absolutely failed miserably. In my defence, it's because once Christian's in full flow, you've just got to sit back and get on with it, really. And if I'd have asked him to explain who everybody he was talking about was, this already lengthy interview would have been twice as long. So apologies for that, because I know, and I've had some feedback about this, I know it does kind of annoy some people when two people are having a conversation and assume the third party knows exactly what they're talking about. I will say that, on the Looking Sideways podcast, I do make a real effort to add as much context as possible on the website in each episode's show notes. If you've not had a look at those, then you should really go and check them out because there's a lot of background info on each guest. There tends to be links to video clips and, you know, you can really immerse yourself in, in the world of the guest, really. In this case, it's pretty much war and peace. So seriously, if you're interested in finding out about some of the people Christian mentions, head on over to the site and have a look. I think I can confidently say that this episode's people mentioned show notes will definitely be the longest and most varied ever. I mean, names as varied as Tony Hawk, Mary Berry, John Cardiel and Pippa Middleton get dropped in this one. Christian's met them all and usually has the scurrilous anecdote to back it up. So we did this interview at Christian's South London home and as he offered to knock together one of his fabled barbecue cook-ups in my honour, I decided to record the podcast while he was cooking for me. 
So what you've got here is possibly a world first for the podcasting genre, which is a live barbecue recording and interview. Now, I understand the podcast is not the medium. You would naturally choose to convey the sights and smells of a barbecue. And sure enough, the sound quality does occasionally fluctuate as Christian leaps off to tend, tend the coals or interrupts himself to start telling me the history of whatever particular sauce he's basting the chicken with. But I hope you can go with it. As I say, once this man gets going, you just got to sit back and enjoy the ride. So I did. We had a lot of fun doing this one, which I hope comes across in the recording. And the food, as goes without saying, was absolutely amazing. I'm going to say it. There's quite a lot of swearing in this one. I did censor the biggest, um, most Anglo-Saxon swear word of them all. So you don't have to worry about that one, but it is in there. And it's also a real long one. This It's about two hours. Now... I did think about splitting it in half, but in the end, I just thought this, you know, let's just get on with it. Listen, sit back, enjoy Christian telling his life story, really, which I think for me at the end of it is about him seizing the opportunities that life throws at you. When you listen to him reel from one story to another, what you're hearing is a man grabbing every opportunity that life throws his way and making the absolute most of them. And whatever setback he suffers, picking himself up, and finding the new plan and throwing himself as hard at that one. And there's definitely a lesson there for all of us. So Christian, thanks a lot for taking the time for this and getting into the spirit of the Looking Sideways podcast. I had a brilliant time and uh, I hope you all enjoy it as much as me and Christian evidently did as we spent allegedly two hours going over his unbelievable life story. So here it is, Christian Stevenson, aka DJ Barbecue. Enjoy. Check, check, one, two, check, one, two, one, one, two. Son of Bifer, brother of Al, Bebba's my mama, runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. The rhymes are Daryl's, the burgers are Ronald's. Five minutes of funk of this ain't no junk, so Matt Barr's gonna pull his bottom off the tree stump. His ladies were pretty, city city, but now she's getting down to the nitty gritty. From the bottom to the top, a top to the bottom, Matt Barr's gonna rock him. I still got him. Christian Stevenson, <laughs> welcome to the Looking Sideways podcast. Looking Sideways. Looking Sideways. Looking sideways or looking sideways? Looking, it's my accent. Come on, you know my accent. Looking sideways. Well, it's part of all the looking sideways sports that we all like. Yeah, exactly. Like golf. There you go. So what, <laughs> what, what are you doing? Talk me through it. Um, I'm lighting up some charcoal. Um, and it's, uh, so it's, 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 it's locally made charcoal in Oxford. I guess it's kind of local to London. And um, it's the best charcoal in the world. And you get a different uh, flavor with charcoal than you do with gas. And everybody says, oh, I can't use gas. Well, get one of these, a chimney flume. So I'm just gonna get this going. All oh, the big chunks. You buy that stuff that's decimating rainforest, man? It's not that big. Look at those chunks of just gorgeousness. Oh my God, I'm gonna have a wet dream with my charcoal. Is that weird? I'm just trying to bring back the old school. And then what are you going to cook for me? I am going to do um, uh, smashed chicken thighs in Alabama white sauce. So most barbecue sauces are, are sugar-based. So if you look at barbecue sauces, three things, main things. Tomatoes, vinegar, and brown sugar. Um, but this one's uh, from northern Alabama region, and it's more kind of creamy-based and tangy. So now I'm about tang. So it's cider vinegar and mayonnaise. 
with lots of cracked pepper, and I put a bit of horseradish sauce and lemon juice, maybe some Worcestershire, Worcestershire sauce. What do you guys say, Worcester sauce? Worcester. Worcester sauce. Amazing. Yeah. So I've been looking gonna, forward to this. Yeah. So that's what I'm making. I'm making some some smashed chicken thigh burgers for you. Nice. Brilliant. Okay. I'll just get this fired up. And what's this you're you're using here? It's called a chimney flume. So I can have hot coals in about seven minutes. Amazing. Everybody's always saying, ooh, takes forever to light the barbecue or the cooker. By the way, real quick, a little bit of a FYI. Barbecue is the food. It's not the cooker. It's not a verb. It, it, it is used as a verb in a, in a cooker in this country, but it's actually the food that we're going to cook is the barbecue. Food touched by fire is barbecue. So we're lighting up the cooker. Wow, I didn't know that. There we go. Learn something new every day here on Looking Sideways with Matt Barr. I'm Christian Stevenson, a.k.a. DJ Barbecue. We can sit down now. We can sit down. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a quick barbecue question, actually. You do? Where do you stand on gas? Um, you know what? I learned on gas. And, um, you know... Uh, People get angry about this. It, I, I, I have to use it sometimes. I prefer not to because I think we're missing... A, it's like, why come outdoors? if you're gonna use gas, unless you just want something quick, but then I'm showing you how to do quick coals. Um, or if you're doing fish, sometimes you wanna get the, the smell of fish out of the house. Um, but I learned on, on gas and sometimes that's what people have access to. But there's a, there's a reaction that happens when you make fresh coals or if, you, if someone makes charcoal like the right way where there's wood note flavors and the destructive volatile properties that happen when wood breaks down, that gives you like another ingredient. You know, we're always looking for that, the umami and these other flavors, you know, you know, salt's one of the best flavor enhancers ever, but charcoal and wood is an amazing flavor, you know, like sweet, you know, sweet chestnut, wild cherry. So I'm just trying to bring back the old school. We've only been in cooking on, um, on gas for 70 years. Before that, everything was barbecue and barbecue actually changed the way we evolved. Once we had fire, it changed us as humans we were able to make this next step because we were able to cook our food and draw different nutrients and 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 chew less you know on certain things and draw different nutrients and vitamins out of your food so it was down to fire and food that evolved mankind and you're pretty smart so you can go against me on this one but i did go to some museums to research that I believe you. Okay. I believe you. I, I can't. I'm not going to challenge you on barbecue. I'd be. Uh, I'd be I'd, I'd, you can challenge me on. Uh, I'd be out of my depth. On evolution, there's if no, you want. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. It was a rib. It's all down to a rib, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Getting biblical. Early doors. Um. So, how did you? I mean, I've known you 20 years. I would say. Oh God. And yeah, we're getting old, right? <laughs> and um, you've always loved cooking. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, I remember we did. Uh, we did a trip to the States, 2005. I'm not weeing, by the way. I'm pouring cider vinegar into a bowl. And you were busy. You were, you know, you produced that trip. You were, you know, you presenting the show. You, you know, you, you were like the one-man army behind that whole thing. But every night, you cooked for the whole crew. And, yeah. like, and that's when I kind of realized, actually, this is like, this, this is more than like just a man who likes his food. This is almost like a, something. There's more than that. So how long have you had that in your life? Since I was... Um, I think I started cooking when I was like five or six. My mom, you know, taught me baking and stuff like that. I wish I remembered all that. And then, then I got kidnapped by my, my mother kidnapped me from my father. And then my dad kidnapped me back. And then all of a sudden I'm in this crazy divorce battle. Then my dad won me in a landmark court case. And so he, then next thing you know, he's like, okay, I got to raise kids. And 
he knew barbecue from his father. So he just said, okay, you're, you're cooking tonight. I'd be like six, seven, eight years old down the gas grill, you know, burning sausages, burning hot dogs and burgers and steaks. I remember the, the more, the, one of the more poignant moments was when I, I started cutting the fat off the, the steaks my dad gave me. He gave me some sirloins, which is a big deal for a, you know, greeting card salesman, you know, from yeah, born yeah. and raised in Iowa. And I'm starting to cut all the fat off. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm going to cut it off later. He's like, that's where the flavor is. I'm like, oh. You know, and that's how it is. And then you just kept giving me pointers. Right. In trial and error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were brought up in Maryland, right? Yeah, I was born and raised in Maryland, summers in Iowa with my dad's father and his mom. And then my mom, um, her parents lived down in um, Virginia Beach. So I did a lot of fishing and stuff with them and learned a lot of seafood. And then grandpa in Iowa would teach me how to play golf and uh, how to cook barbecue. Right. And he, there's photos of my grandpa, like, you know, from a very young age, not that young because he's quite old or he was old, of just him always firing up the cooker, going on, going over the state border into the Dakotas, um, well before the, uh, the pipeline that they're trying to stop, which I think needs to be stopped because why are we trying to transport fossil fuels when that's just not the way we're going in this planet? And um, he'd have like the grill. Five chickens on a rotisserie. He's got ribs and spuds and sauces on this, like, you know, kind of homemade contraption. And that was grandpa, like, you know, raising right. my parents. And look at you now. You've got, I mean, we're, what, so what, what's this we've got here, this smoker? I mean, this is your homemade contraption. What, well, this, this is actually, what? this is a locally made cooker. This is British made. This is called a drum you know, kind of barrel style, like horizontal uh, uh, barrel, which is what you see a lot when you see the jerk chicken guys yeah. doing their food. Okay. Um, and yeah, they, he makes it locally. So I like working on that. I've also got a Weber kettle. I got a pit barrel, which goes on the side. That's more of a pit style, which is where I'm really trying to learn my cooking, just keeping the flames really far away from the food. Okay. Um, what's, what, why, what's different about that? It's kind of Texas style pit. And um, a lot of times people, you know, they want to do, do, they do ribs because ribs are a bit of a tough one. And they, you know, they wrap them to goof proof them. But I'm just trying to learn how to mop, you know, baste and just keep a good distance and just slow cook yeah just with fuel yeah yeah not there's no airflow regulators because the way i cook is using air air and fuel you know fuel likes oxygen you deplete the oxygen flow and it'll mellow out you yeah. know fires love love heat so i'm making an alabama white sauce right now right now i've got some mayonnaise and cider vinegar and i'm gonna throw some horseradish in there and some pepper and i've also got some ice it uh Chili flakes. Right. This is from, uh, I think, Southeast Turkey. Yeah, okay. They're lovely. Anyway. Nice. So that's Smashed where barbecue came from. Smashed chicken burgers. Brilliant. I'm excited. Ooh, smell that, dude. Yeah, that smells pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, I think last time you cooked for me was on that trip. Was so, it? Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, I've, I've eaten your food at events and, yeah. and stuff like that but obviously that's kind of that's kind of different you know why i did you know why i cooked all those meals like breakfast you know dinner yeah because if you put good food in into a into a person they're gonna be a better person they're gonna you know we're asking these young kids to ride hard you know snowboard heavy long days you know our camera crew you know you you know the the, the journalist everybody's got a <laughs> the skive <laughs> <laughs> but you've got it you, you all were trying to like um there were, there were long days. Yeah, there were long days. And then yeah. we would celebrate at night and have some beers, you know, and, yeah. and, and have a cookout. But I always found if I put better food into people, good fresh food, you know, home-cooked food, yeah, 
they last longer and they don't melt. I've watched putting, I watched, because I was the skateboard team manager for Vans and snowboard team manager for Vans for 10 years. And I watched what happened to somebody if they just go and have, you know, fast food. Yeah. They have the highs and the lows. It's like eating a, a candy bar. Yeah, yeah. There's no point. But if I put good food in them, you know, and I and when I went on my first big Groms tour with like the Groms, like Ross McGowan, Chris Vile, and all those guys, I think only one day did I let them have Dairy Queen. Right. And the rest was always good food, and they complained because they were complaining that they weren't eating good f- fast food. And then when I finally gave them fast food, they're like, "That tasted crap." I'm like, "Exactly." Yeah. You know, I'm just gonna put some pepper in. Lots of pepper in there. Tons of pepper. We're, we're having a classic English barbecue, actually, aren't we? You know, yeah. sat in the garden, coats on. That's it. Yeah. So I think we should go back over your career, really. I mean, it's a it's a long one. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm old. <laughs> it's it's a varied one. Yeah. But it would be. That's what Ed Lee says. You you keep doing a Madonna every five years. Reinvention. <laughs> yeah. It's all about reinvention. Yeah. She, she did it. So you, I think I first knew of you from the films you made in the 90s, Oddman Out, Day Tripper, but tell me how you got into action sports, skateboarding, snowboarding. How'd you get into it? I always, I think my dad got me a skateboard when I was like five or six with the metal wheels, you know, which just sucked. But that was like, you know, 72, 73, 1973. And um, and then I got the urethane one, like the little bit, the green banana board looking thing. But then my uncle Rip, my mom's brother, um, he was a surfer from Virginia Beach, and he was getting me into surfing and boogie boarding, and 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 he would buy me a better skateboard. So that kind of got me into looking sideways. And um, and we were, and I remember, I think my favorite memory of being a kid on board was catamaraning, you know with your buddy, my buddy Mark Silver, sitting on his banana board, me on mine. I got my feet on his, and he's got his feet, and then we're holding hands and just, you know, going back and forth like a catamaran, you know, bombing hills. We had one kid down the bottom of the street because it, it was a blind corner, you know, go! And then, you know, you'd be going down, all of a sudden, he's like, car! <laughs> and um, it was that love of just riding sideways, looking sideways and shredding sideways that got me into it. And then, I went to University of Maryland. Well, in high school, I started making like little short films about skateboarding. Did you? Yeah, I made a movie called Crime Doesn't Pay. Nice. Where me and my buddy went to the cafeteria and we stole some cheese and crackers. Then we get busted for che- stealing. And then I dressed up all the skaters in the, t- in the high school as school administrators. And basically, we were getting chased by the school administrators on skateboards. I did a full, and then I had a lo- one of the local punk bands do the soundtrack to Famed. I think they're doing a um, Circle Jerks cover. Wow. I'm not, no, that's, that's Suicide Tendencies. Anyway, yeah, and that's why I, I, I made that, and I think it got second place at the State Film Festival. How old were you? When I made that movie? I think I was 16. I made my, made my first film when I was 12. That was a murder mystery, horror film. And then I made Crime Doesn't, and that was Crime Doesn't Pay. I forget. No, no, that was accidents happen, murders done. Then those crime doesn't pay. Anyway, but you know what got me really into making, going back into film? Because I was, I started in junior high doing some films. And then I was watching, I got to high school and I was watching the, the internal television. And there's um, this guy called Mark Bryan and this guy, Dennis Vick, the class clown, making these crazy kind of skits, Blues Brothers kind of skits. And, um, and then Mark Bryan went on to become the guitarist of uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. You know why they broke up? 
the drummer was banging the guitarist's wife. Don't do that. No, you don't do that. No. Even if you are in Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> so, right, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't know that. So you, you were making films from when you were that young, basically. Yeah. My, my stepdad bought a, a Super 8 with sound. Right. And, just, and he was an electrician, so he would help me do lights and stuff. Okay. And I would start doing the editing that way. Yeah, so when I was 12, I started making films. Then did it in, t- in high school. And then I said, then I went to college, but I was like, you went to the counselor in high school and said, you know, what do I do? And they're like, you know, what, what's the highest paying job? Because I was very money driven. And they said, banking counselor. And I'm like, okay, I'll go do that. And then I tried to do accounting and math courses and I just couldn't do it. And then I think after a f- the freshman year of just failing everything, I go, dad, I'm not, I'm not doing too good in the university. Can... I would really like to switch majors and, you know, do what I've always liked, which is radio, television, and film. He's like, okay. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, man, do it. I go, okay. So I switched my major up and I started studying film and TV properly. And then I remember being in high school, in college, I would always just grab my snowboard. My stepmom bought me one of the very first uh, Burtons. Okay. Well, the, one of the first P-Tex ones. So I had a Burton 150 Elite. Yeah. So at, our, at the mall, we had Sunshine House and there was a 140 and a 150. And the 150 had the swallowtail in it. Yeah, yeah. What like, year is this? 85. Okay. Wow, that's legit, isn't it? And um, so I just was You've got a long lead, by the way, if you need to okay. check, your, uh, check your coals. So, yeah, I... Um, oh, yeah, I got coals. Cool. So, I... Um, I started, you know, working with... Uh, doing all that let me get this out put this down for a second I'll talk really loud I'm going to burn myself I gotta clean all that it's a piece of kit that isn't it yeah let's take a picture of the the smoker yes don't touch that Crosby let me just get some more charcoal in there and then we're good My friend Matt that does the charcoal, makes my charcoal, he just puts his hands in the coals and moves them around, raging hot. Have you tried to do that? Yeah. No. Don't. That's <laughs> just crazy. crazy. Asbestos hands. He's got asbestos hands. So, um, yeah, so I got my first board in 85, the 150 Elite, and, you know, there was no one riding back then. Uh, so where, where were you snowboarding then? My backyard. Right. I was snowboarding my backyard, then I... We climb hills, and then, then I think finally Ski Liberty in Pennsylvania allowed it. But you had to take a test to even go on certain parts of the mountain. So you'd pay your lift pass, and you had to pay them to test you to see if you're worthy to get on certain parts of it. Because we were the scourge, you know. And then, I, and then in I think spring '86, uh, some friends of mine had a timeshare in Jackson Hole. Really? So I, I went out there with them and brought my 150. And that was your first proper snowboarding. In Jackson. Well, I mean, you know, Pennsylvania's proper. Right. <laughs> you just blink, you miss your run. Yeah, yeah. But out there, yeah, proper. And it was, you know, I was like, wow, this mountain's steep and it's big and it doesn't end. But I just kept getting spat on by the skiers and they just did not like me. Yeah, it's so funny when you think back, isn't it? Oh, to that. they just thought we were the worst things ever. I mean, I'd be on chairlifts and then they just thought I was scum. Right. And, um, and I, you know, me, I'm a, I'm a cheerful guy trying to win people over, but didn't work no way even your charm couldn't crack that so uh 
Yeah, that was uh, that was my first trip. So we did ten days out there, and that really kind of pushed my riding. Yeah. But you know, those one fifties, they were all nose and no tail. Yeah. So you just you're just holding on for dear life. Yeah. When you look at those boards now, <laughs> they didn't make it easy today. No. So this is around the same time that you're thinking, okay, change change university course, TV. Yeah. Okay. So what happened next? Um, so I changed my career, and then. I, I remember my Uncle Rip was showing me, like, he showed me Endless Summer, and then I remember getting Public Domain. Yeah. And then I watched Public Domain and Endless Summer. I was like, I want to do that for snowboarding. Right. I want to document that. So after I graduated college, university, I went out, a friend of mine called me and goes, come out to Vail. I got a bed for you. And I'm like, wow, I could still keep this dream alive and having a good time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moved to Vail. And his name was Christian Graf, another Christian. Went to high school with him, and he just quit college and went out there to live in Breck. And he ended up in Vail, and I went over there and got a job covering the Gulf War for a radio station called Case Key. <laughs> so I mean, you're the perfect correspondent. <laughs> yeah, but I'm a hippie. I don't believe in war. So um, you were a DJ as well, right in Vail? Well, th- so I started as a as a news guy on the AM. So the AM, when the war started, the the first Gulf War, they went 24-hour news. They turned the country station into a 24-hour news station. So I basically was doing these, I think Monday, Tuesday, I was doing an eight-hour show, Saturday, 10-hour, Sunday, 12. I even had to do a Mormon show because the station was owned by Mormons. Right. But I just played something off the the reel-to-reel from the Mormon, you know, church. Yeah. And made coffee and stayed out of that room because I just, you know. Anyway, I, um... So I was just like snowboarding and stuff. Then I got a job. I'm cleaning the grill now, so sorry about this. By the way, a really good way of cleaning your grill, uh, onions and or lemons. Some kind of acid-based. Yeah. So you can do. You don't have to use any kind of I need that chemical tip. cleaners. Yeah, lemon. I need that tip, definitely. Right, so here you are in Vail, um, yeah. reporting on the Gulf War. <laughs> yeah, and then um, and then I had another job doing customized um, music videos for tours. I had like a blue screen room and a full drum set, and tours would come in and just you know, and sing and sing a song. We make a, like a real time music video of them. We we blue screen like a family on a highway or in space, and uh, it was fun when the the rich uh, families from um, you know Central and Southern America come over. And they would just sing Born in the USA, this full family. <laughs> and I just put them on a highway in America. Wow. And um, yeah, and then, and then there was a job going. I, I would go away in the summer times to Portugal or, or Australia. And then someone said, hey, dude, there's a job going making uh, ski videos for tourists. I'm like, well, that's up my alley. So I went over and then I, so I applied for the job, got it. And then I had all this kit. I had this three chip high eight camera. And um, so I would always go to the half pipe when I wasn't, you know, getting any, soliciting any kind of business. And I would just film Adam Merriman and Stevie Alters and um, Barrett Christie and all those guys. Yeah, I mean, that's a good period to be in Vail, right? Josh Hemminger, you know, Travis Young, all those dudes. Uh, Todd Richards, you know, Jay Nelson, J2. Yeah. All the Jays. Yeah, yeah. Jason Girardi and... um, Heavy crew. Yeah. Well, J2 is a bit of a dick. He's what's good, nice to me. Good snowboarder. Great, yeah, good snowboarder. Todd Richards, man. Oh my God, watching him in the pipe. Yeah. Holy nuts balls. He was so fun to watch in a pipe. Not just the 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 air he was getting, but the distance he was getting. Just big, 
big, huge, booming airs. I was like, oh my lord, this changes the game. And Vail were like pretty welcoming, weren't they? Compared yeah. to other resorts. They, yeah. they were one of the, like, the resorts that, that sort of saw the good in it and, and, re- and also realized it would be good for them to, to think, back it. I think Jackson Hole was first and then Vail and, and the, you know, Summit Eagle County. But, you know, you still had the people that thought we were scum. Yeah. I mean, I was in Alta. Well, not in Alta, but I was in Snowbird last month. I mean, you know, and it's, <laughs> they still it's, just, it's just hilarious that they still don't yeah. allow snowboarding in Alta. Anyway. I always know. say there's assholes everywhere. doesn't matter if they're on one or two planks, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, the, 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 the mode of transportation does not warrant the asshole. It's just the asshole. Yeah. I hate the driver, <laughs> not the car. Right. So he, I, so I didn't know that. So that's how you kind of got into shooting with those guys. Like yeah, so, Josh Heminger and, yeah. So Jack and Jim, who were, Jack Bibbo and Jim Wedlake were working for a vacation video. And we, I just said, guys, you know, we have all this kit. Why don't we just make a snowboard film? You know, like Riders in the Storm. Because I just finished doing a, a season in in Australia in Jindabyne and working at Cherry Cherry Pow Pow. Try answering the phone there. <laughs> Cherry Cherry Pow Pow, bro, bro. Um, and the, I'm gonna get a bit of heat locked in here. Um, so I was watching, I remember watching Hard, The Hungry and the Homeless, you know, Mac Dog's one of his you know, earlier films, yeah. you know, after like Hocus Pocus and Pocahontas and all those. I watched that about 120 times, Riders in the Storm, Roadkill was everything to me. I was like, oh my God, this is the kind of movie I want to make. Yeah. Critical Condition. Um, and, watch, and I worked in a snowboard shop. So I've seen all those films 120 times, minimal. And then my friends back in Vail were sending me stuff. And then I got that job doing videos. So we said, I said, let's make some videos. And we did. We made a movie called Blindside. And we were really more about, you know, editing and music. You know, we, we had okay riders. And they, were, they rode good. But, you know, we didn't get the best landings all the time. And so that was just more about style. Like kind of a really cool looking video with music. And we had the far side on there, 311. Yeah, the music was a big deal in your Swerve films. Swerve Driver. Yeah. yeah. And then I came over to uh, Europe to find distribution for the first film. And that's why you came to Europe? Yeah. Right. They loaned me 200 bucks. I bought my own ticket and uh, came back to Europe in 94 to kind of find distribution. So I flew to Glasgow, just went to the shops to find out where they bought it from. I thought I'd go to them first. I didn't know where to, how to set up distribution. You know, it was such a weird yeah. new world. What was your company called that you had with Jack? Room and Board Productions. Okay. Yeah, because we were always looking for a room and we were always looking for a board. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to remember that earlier. Right, room and board it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Right, so what, you just literally went to like Boardwise and, and places like that. And, yeah. And we're like, how do I, what's the deal? So they said, you know, Alan Green, um, Black Diamond. And so I, you know, started getting those numbers and borrowing phones in people's homes because there's no mobile phones back then. It's 94. And then I took a bus down to London from Glasgow and met up with Black Diamond. They took my film on, and then I went to meet the manager of Swerve Driver to give him a copy. William Orbit as well was the opening track. Wow. Water from Vine Leaf, so I got him a copy, who went on to you know, produce that Blur album, didn't he? You know, Ray the, of Light. Did he produce Ray of Light as yeah. well? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yes. William Orbit, yeah. Yeah, he had his purple patch, didn't he, where basically everyone wanted him to produce everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I, was, I went out to see Swerve Driver. I was a big Swerve Driver fan. And I remember going to. Um, well, I've got. I'm going to stop you there, right? Because is that is that where your in, like Anglophile UK loving tendencies come from? Yeah. Music. Yeah. Is that where it came Manchester, from? Manchester. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk Oxford. about Oxford. Let's let's hold that thought and let's talk about that because obviously the other key thing in your life 
one of the other key things is music. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. So is that is that where you first started becoming aware of the UK and when you uh, were, when you were younger? I was DJing at University of Maryland at. I went. I was in a fraternity house, and we were kind of the indie house. Right. You know, the surfers, the skaters, the, yeah. the snowboarders. Well, me and a couple guys were into snowboarding, and we. And I was just playing a lot of the indie music. You know, Susie and the Banshees, yeah. and just I was just I was the guys that were cool in the house were listening to that music, you know, Smiths, um, and then of course Stone Roses happened, and and that whole Manchester Happy Mondays. So that's what I was spinning, you know? And, but this was, I was spinning off cassettes. Yeah. I was buying cassette singles and making mixtapes. And that's how I was, I remember buying cassette singles and spooling to the brown with my finger or a pencil just to, so when I played Bust a Move by Young MC, it was ready to go. Buffalo Stance, those were the big ones to get the girls on the dance floor. But for us, we just wanted to hear indie. Yeah. That jingly jangly guitar music. Well, yeah, I mean, Swerve Driver, that's pretty indie. Yeah. So, um, that's why I wanted to go to England too, as well, because I, you know, I just wanted to kind of, you know, see where it all came from. And then, so hence I go to meet the manager, Andy Allen of Swerve Driver, and I go off to Ilford in Essex. They were playing the island there. Right. And I'm on the train, and everybody had a really crazy English accent as <laughs> I got further into Essex. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, these are very gregarious people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fit right in there. And then I got there and I'm like, this is not London. <laughs> yeah, it definitely isn't. I thought it was like a tube. Right. And then I'm thinking, am I going to even get home? No. <laughs> and then I get there and the manager's not even there. Andy Allen, I'm like, well, this sucks. I went to the merch stall. But my name was on the list. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy the gig. And then I kind of go back to the merch stall at the end of the gig to say, thanks. I'm going to figure out how to get home now. And... um or wherever I was staying. I don't even remember where I was staying. And um, they go, oh, Andy's here. He's looking for you. I go, oh, okay. So I met Andy Allen. And he said, come on, we're going backstage to meet the band. It was the most rock and roll moment of my life. They got this big trash can full of ice and water and, and the lead singer, you know, Adam Franklin's pulling out bottles of Jack and the, the, the drummer Jez is like, you know, really into like windsurfing and, and surfing. And they, you know, they were cool because they were doing songs on the TV series, yeah. you know? Yeah, they would have known about it, right? Yeah, Son of a Mustang, whatever that one off the first album I think they used. Because I used, uh, I think a change is going to come off Mescal Head on our, on our on blind side. And, they, and then they just offered me a ride home or a ride to their place because, yeah. you know, it's like two in the morning now. And that's where I had my first prawn and hula hoop sandwich <laughs> we went to the car the you know the garage and you tell the guy can you get me that and that and that and, yeah yeah and then they just showed me how to make a hula I'll hoop have a and chocolate prawn. milk <laughs> packet of hula hoops and some white a loaf of white bread please yeah you're like yes i've arrived and they just you know gave me tequila and you know rolled joints and i hung out with swerve driver all night and the next day they went to a festival in belgium right i was like this is awesome and you and they were in london and then i bought a pair of doc martens that day and then I flew to Portugal and did a season there and just but would every every week I would go to the store and buy an enemy and a melody maker which I read religiously and just saw what was happening yeah so you were in Lagos right yeah Lagos Portugal yeah uh, DJing down there yeah with uh, Toby Milaj from the Surf Experience who yeah. is now the Prodigies like you know he opens up for the Prodigy yeah he's, he's he did well. <laughs> yeah, he did the, the Wembley gig. Yeah, he did, didn't he? And uh, he ended up being my best friend, you know, one of my best friends, and uh, best man at my wedding, and uh, godfather of my son, Blue. So, and we're still, you know, I'm the godfather of his daughter. So that was kind of crazy. 
And then I came back and we decided to max out all our credit cards and buy a van in Europe and make odd men out. So how did you get connected to the UK snowboarding scene then? I mean, I know you said you, you went into, you know, you, you'd been to the shops and all that, but you know, odd man out, it's like Chris Moran, Stu Brass, like McNabb's in it, isn't he? Yeah, so I didn't like, have any money and I decided to kind of base myself over here. So I started squatting in Oval and then I, my first job in this country was was not wasn't I ended up getting a job for Black Diamond, which was smart. Work for the distribution company that's selling your movies. Yeah, and then I got, ended up getting a job with um, Snowboard Asylum. Slade, Jeremy Sladen, Martin Drayton. Wow, Drayton. He hired me, and I got a job selling boards with uh, young Chris Moran and. Was Steve Bailey there then? Steve probably was there. Yeah, it was, we were doing the trade. We were doing um the ski, ski shows, show. Yeah, I mean every. I mean it's hilarious, isn't it? I mean literally everybody worked for for TSA at the ski shows, yeah. didn't they? I remember a young little grommet running around bugging the fuck out of everybody. Stu Bross. Yeah. <laughs> Stu did it. Yeah, every, I mean literally everybody in UK snowboarding that time did it. That's I mean it. that's how we used to pay for our seasons. Like do the yeah. do the ski show and I right. Okay, so that so that's where it came from. Yeah. Let me go grab the chicken breast. Yeah. We're getting there, aren't we? This looks good. So this is from your local, your local butcher. Local butcher. I, I have a couple local butcheries that look after me. And uh, yeah, Billings. Wow. And uh, there's a woman there called Caroline who um, makes the sausages, you know, every Monday and Wednesday, and she's been butchering for 31 years. Wow. I did a video with her on my YouTube channel uh, recently. So. Oh, I'll link to it. Yeah, there we go. I mean. A podcast probably isn't the best medium for, for a barbecue, but no. it's looking pretty good. We're hungry. Yeah. I'm hungry. Right. So there you go, TSA. That's the connection. That's the connection. So I got a job for them, and then I ended up getting a job uh, working at Black Diamond, so I was able to sell my movie. Yeah. And then me and Toby uh, went road tripping uh, around the UK because you know, no one was selling snowboard films back in 94, really. A couple of the shops were, but it wasn't really... One of the done things, so I would go to skate shops and surf shops, and I just tried to like talk to them about who we were. You know, Jim, Jim and Jack were still in the states at this point. Yeah, so I was getting distribution, and then um, and then I ended up meeting the marketing guy from uh, the head of marketing for Sony Two S Two. So Jeff. Mark Richardson was the guy's name, and he, uh, this is a really weird one, he just signed Reef. Okay. And Reef had the same manager as Swerve Driver, so he was sending me these cassette demos down to Lagos that summer, and I was listening to them on a beach with a really crappy speaker on my little Walkman, and I'm like, well, these guys are good. It's like the new Zeppelin. And... Um, because you did a video for them, I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, I directed that. three videos for them, and that's how it all happened. That's how I got signed... <laughs> To um, to Sony, I uh, I um did so. I met this guy Mark. Went to a couple parties with him, and that who's that photographer Rankin? Yeah, I remember meeting him at a party with him, and just it was like, just it was crazy back then. Ninety four music industry. Oh, and he goes, I want to. I go into his meeting, and he's like, Hey, I want to fly you down to meet J.K. Jamiroquai, and I want you to do a, a snowboarding video for them. And I go, Okay. So he goes to his assistant, where's, where's Jamiroquai touring right now? She gave him the list of dates. He's like, you want to go to Barcelona tomorrow? I go, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, right. 
so I get on this plane with the Jamiroquai's manager, and Kevin Simpson's like, I don't like Americans. Just letting you know. Nice guy. Yeah. And then Great you know, within an hour, he's like, you're all right. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and uh, so I went down there, and I met the whole band, party with them, and then J.K. just stayed in his hotel room, you know, hanging out with local chicks. <laughs> so I hardly got to talk to him. Right. And then, but I had to start organizing the shoot because it was coming up. They only had these certain dates, so I, uh, I organized a trip uh, to St. Anton uh, with Steve Bailey and Chris Moran to start getting footage for the video, and then the band pulled out. So I'm like, well, this, this isn't going to happen. So they, they substituted the band with Rat, the guitarist from Ned's Atomic Dustbin, and then the manager of his band said, oh, he doesn't like to fly. I'm like, oh, great. Um, so I had to get him on a plane, which was fun, and then take uh, the other guys. And I met out with Bailey and uh, and Chris Moran, and we just and I got these I got Nidecker to make those Jamiroquai boards. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And yeah, what well, was the first? Chris got the first cover of Onboard, didn't he? Actually, the second. Second, the it first was seal. Was seal, wasn't it? <laughs> God, <laughs> that's what? hilarious. That but was... yeah, Chris was on one of those Jamiroquai boards on the second cover of Onboard, wasn't he? Yeah, what a, those were terrible covers. Um, but it was the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It was great to see Chris on the cover. He was stoked. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was stoked. I mean, uh, that, that seal cover was awful. Nothing wrong with seal, but it's just don't put seal I mean, on he's the not your He's not your first choice, is he, for, nah. a, for a cover? So we went out there, shot some stuff, and then um, I was like, are we going to get the band? And then, oh, yeah, yeah. So we got one date or two days between Grenoble and something else. So they came back out. I flew back out there. I spent um, a day teaching him how to snowboard. But Jay knew how to skate, so he, he kind of got it quickly. Is he a nice guy? He's all right, man. You know, he, he's confident. Yeah, I'm sure. And um, we, he did all his own stunts. I mean, I had, I, had, I had the same outfits that he was wearing, ready for Josh Hemminger and Travis Young, the guys we were making our odd men out with at the time. Yeah. So this is all going on at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and luckily, you know, we... we, we, we we bought a 16 mil camera, an Aeroflex ST. We, luckily, Sony was paying up for a lot of film stock. You know, yeah. I said I need a lot, and they go, well, "That's a lot." I go, "Yeah, man, snowboarders don't always land their jumps. I need a lot of, you know, stock." This is back in the days of shooting 16, 400 tungsten. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, what a hookup! What a hookup! Yeah. And the, and the telecine price, you know, yeah. to, to process like a minute of film was like 30 bucks back then to get a minute. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what a connection. So. Uh, I remember sticking a Walkman under J.K.'s hat and he lip-synced the song whilst riding down the mountain. Jim Wedlake's there with, he's on skis, yeah. filming him and we're all, I'm just trying to, you know, help produce and run it all and then the last, we found this big cornice and, you know, I was going to have one of the guys jump it and J.K.'s JK like, I'm going to jump it and I'm like, you sure? I mean, it was a pretty banging cornice. Yeah. Good 20, 20 foot one and he went off of it and ate shit and uh <laughs> and you could hear him you know moaning in the snow good lad though cancel berlin <laughs> the manager's next to me going oh, now i hate you again <laughs> fair play though yeah and then take that on and then here's a funny story so we're walking across the car park back to the van to meet up with the rest of the band me jim Waylake, and um jk and we're walking and the song's called light years i'm directing the music video for and it, featuring Axel Paporte, Philippe Lalamont, you know, uh, Russ deal. Bross is in it. Yeah, it was a big deal. Mark that film. Kent, Kenty, he's in it. Kenty and Russ. And um, well, that, I mean, that that was like one of the first 
mainstream things to use snowboarding as I remember. Yeah. So it was like a real big deal. It got a lot of attention, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. And they, I think on the cover, they used a Todd Richards photo on the, on the vinyl yeah. when they released it in the States. So JK goes, what do you think Light Years is about, Christian? I go, I, and I, you know, I figured he's a bit of a hippie. So I don't know about not doing the nine to five, man, you know, living your own life, you know, living with the earth. And he's like, nope, cocaine. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so the cool thing about this sauce that we're doing, this Alabama white sauce, because it's not sugar-based, you can add it a bit like midway through the cook, as long as it's like a Hellman's or something like that, because if you make your mayonnaise, it'll split. You can't put it back on the heat. But that's why people bar burn their barbecue so much. They put, you know, the sugary stuff on early and sugar burns. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so when you see all these like chicken marinades and stuff, that's what's going on. Yeah, so I just put it in the, in the sauce like that. Let it drip off. And then um, throw it back on and let it cook in there. There we go. This is looking pretty good. So then I ended up going to the guys from um, from Sony. I said, listen, I did this video for you for a really good price, which I did, even though they bought me a shit ton of film. Um, I really want to release a soundtrack to my movie because I'm really into my music. And the guy took me down to the commercial marketing department. And the guy ends up giving me not only a soundtrack deal, but a movie deal. And I'm like, okay, well, sounds good. Sony Video Distribution, Columbia, you know, soundtrack release. Was for, for expecting odd, this. For Oddman Out, yeah. For Oddman Out. Yeah. Yeah, because that soundtrack, I mean, you had Oasis on there, didn't you? Well, you know, they were a last second call. Right. So I had Smoke on the Water. There was a girl working at Sony, Sara Lord, daughter of John Lord. Yeah, yeah. Who invited us to her birthday party. We were in the middle of, we were just on the last day of editing Oddman Out, and I really wanted to go. We didn't go. Guess who went to her party? The members of Ride, George Harrison, and you know John Lord was there, of course. It's his George daughter's Harrison. George Harrison was there, and they're a telling genuine, me this, and I'm like, a genuine Beatle. Oh dear Lord, no pun intended. <laughs> oh my sweet Lord. Oh my sweet Lord, that's it. What a tune. I think he was that Beatle was the one that had the first breakout best solo album. Yeah. Anyway, we ended up getting this movie and album deal with them, and I was like, then I became in-house music video director for Sony. Uh, doing doing reef videos and a band called Try Like a Boy Band. You know, I did a video for them. Anyway, yeah. And then we ended up releasing Odd Man Out, and I had a killer. Uh, I mean, we had we had Radiohead on the actual CD. I couldn't get it clear for the video. Okay, by the way, Oasis. So I had Lord of the I had um, Smoke on the Water cleared in every territory, but oh man, I'm trying to tell a story here. I'll call you back. It's my charcoal guy. Of course it it's is. my charcoal. Hey, hey, Matt. I'm good. I'm, I'm using your charcoal right now, and it's doing me a treat. Listen, can I call you back in a bit? Because I'm just in the middle of an interview. And call you back when I'm when I'm done. I'll call you back in a bit. Okay. Okay. Bye. Of course, it's your charcoal, man. Just phoning up. Yeah. Your DJ barbecue. I think I burned a bit of that wood. Maybe I shouldn't cook on this wood deck. Um. Anyway, that didn't happen. I didn't bring anything. Uh, what are you talking about, Christian? Uh, so I had Lord of the Rings, uh, sorry, Lord of the Rings, smoke on the water cleared in every territory but England. Right. And I could not, for some reason, get it cleared. 
And then I put a request in for a slide away because I think Steve Bailey and, and um, Moran were really oh, they into love, that they song. I love that song, yeah. So I asked for it. It's like the longest song on the album, or yeah. one of the well, longer songs. I mean, it's a, that section is a classic because of that song. It's very British. Yeah. That section. It's British and, and French and Belgian. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's got Axel and... I was like the connoisseur's choice of song yeah. off that first album. I mean, Regis Roland was in that section, I think. I remember filming Regis, like, where are you going to turn? He's like, I do not turn. I am going straight the whole way. Ah, oh, that is what you want Regis Roland yeah. to say, isn't it? And I remember asking, do you ever grab it? Like, what is the point? It stabilizes <laughs> you. It's more manly not to grab him. I guess Sean Palmer used to do those kind of non-grab shifties, you know, and, and roadkill and stuff like that. That is such a French answer, isn't it? Brilliant. <laughs> so um, we got slide away last second. Left field's on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a proper, you know, seminal 90s soundtrack album, isn't it? Yeah. Stu Brass on the cover. That's right, Stu Brass on the cover. On the CD cover, yeah. Yeah, he was stoked. Oh, yeah, of course he was. So um, what do you remember about filming it with those boys? How poor we were. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Well, we, were, you know, we had no money, but luckily Moran, Moran helped a lot because Moran knew the head of tourism at Les Arc, who ended up just giving us a place to live for like two or three weeks. Right. You know? And then luckily for us, Jim, one of the cameramen, started having sex with the head of tourism. <laughs> so that helped. <laughs> that helped. <laughs> Jim did that twice on that tour. I was going and bang the head of tourism. <laughs> Somewhere in Colorado, Jim's ears just pricked up. <laughs> just kidding, Jim. No, I'm not. I actually think Jim had sex with the head of tourism on her, on her desk in Lazark's tourist department. That's a, that's a true story. Wow. Go on, Jim. No one's going to hear this podcast, right? No, no, no one listens to this. No, I'm just no. kidding. I know it's pretty banging. <laughs> it, it, that's 20 years ago. I think we're okay. More than 20 years ago. 22 years ago. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. Damn. I got to do a 25, 25th anniversary edition, right? Oh, well, you Director know, commentary. It's a popular film, isn't it? Let's be honest. For a lot of, lot of people our age in the UK. So that was Odd Man Out. And yep. then you did Day Tripper. Yeah, we decided to buy a school bus for yeah. 1500 bucks. So this is on Sony's coin then, right? No, we, we left Sony and I uh, ended up getting a deal. I went to A&M Records. They, they offered us a pretty good deal. In A&M uh, Polygram International. I mean, this, this is like, just goes to show what a different time it was, right? When you've got record companies. Yeah. Paying, they want the hot new thing. Paying for this. Paying yeah. for a snowboard film. I know. Crazy. So you bought a school bus. Yeah, which... Jack bought it in Denver for fifteen hundred bucks. Driving it home, the, the the petrol gauge didn't work, and he was trying to figure it out. So he thought maybe the carb froze. Just ran out of gas, and he he, he you know sometimes you, you you squirt petrol on there, and the whole thing blew back, and he burned all his hair off. Wow! And it was right before Halloween, so he just decided to shave his head and paint his body blue and go as the seven ball in a bowling table, and then put put had a green felt and pockets. That's how you handle it. <laughs> <laughs> no eyeballs. Just front that out. <laughs> Just a big seven or whatever the blue one is on his head. <laughs> Good lad. Brilliant. Good old Jack Bibbo. But you know, Jim Wetlake now is like easily one of the best cameramen in the world. You know? and, his, and I saw his daughter's like one of the best free skiers in the yeah, States, right? She, well, she was, she's on the, the U.S. junior team and she just won, uh, I think, national championship. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, Bryn. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jim's gone on to have an incredible career, hasn't he? Yeah, he you know he shoots the U.S. ski team, he shoots the Olympics, yeah, he shoots yeah. the X Games. He's been shooting the X Games from from almost the beginning. You know, Jim's Jim's 
the best. So I hired him for all those rad tours. Yeah. Well, I'm, well, I'm sure we'll get to that, won't we? Yeah. So, what do you, Day Tripper, and that was with the Brits again. That yeah, we brought out Danny Wheeler this time and Neil McNabb, Stu Bross, and we, yeah, brought them out from, from England and they um, lived with us in Vail. And I remember driving the school bus to Utah and I, I, I'm thanking Moran for driving because the Americans weren't doing it. And Moran looks at me and it's, I mean, it was coming down. We're on our way to, you know, Brighton, Salt Lake City. And uh, it was dark and it was horrible. And uh, Moran's like, are you kidding me? I'm a kid from Manchester driving a school bus <laughs> from Colorado to Salt Lake City. Thank you, you know? <laughs> I'm like, I like you. Oh, you would have loved that. Yeah. Adventure. Yeah, the, the Brits were a lot more accommodating. They were no egos. Just right. thankful. So and did you, at this point, were you generally based in the UK, though? You were based in London. Day Tripper... I just finished living in London for about, I think, eight or nine months. And then Day Tripper, I kind of went and lived, uh, yeah, because I went back to Vail and lived in East Vail, and we lived out of the school bus. And the first, the first section on there we went to film when the bus was just getting ready to run was with Frank Scrum, Travis Parker, and Josh Heminger and Jackson Hole. Right, Travis Parker. To that Maloco track, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fun for me. Yeah. And uh, I remember Josh said he went to pee in a cup because um, we had no toilet in the, in the school bus. And then the next morning, because he, he didn't want to leave the, the bus, and he went out and he just pulls his, his frozen wee out of the cup. Icicle. <laughs> An icicle. <laughs> a wee icicle. Get, ghetto living. Yeah, that was us. Films are great, though. Are you proud of him when you look back? Oh, yeah. I, I'm, very, I'm very proud of those films. Um, I'm proud of, you know... I, you know, our riding was solid. You know, we had some good riders in there. You know, it wasn't to the standard of um, standard films or... But there was or, more, there's more to those films than that, though. It wasn't just about... I mean, there was, there was plenty of snowboarding films where it was just about bangers and tricks. Yeah. But your films, there was more going on than that, right? We just... I, I wanted to do more of a... Um, I wanted to tell more of a story. And that's why I like the early um, Fall Line films. Yeah. Um, well, and, that's why Riders in the Storm so amazing isn't it that's, I think Riders and Storm is my all time favorite snowboard film yeah. boom I mean, there I'm, you go I mean it was it, it, still, it still stands up now I mean, it's a classic yeah Cardiel Car dude Card everybody called that the Rippy Flip that Cardiel was doing it way before that Cardi yeah. I, I even took Cardiel on a tour with the Vans International team and I go you know you're my favorite snowboarder he's like oh man was that your time was that your time man I go yep <laughs> and I go why'd you stop and he's like too glitzy man that scene was just money and glitz that's not me because Cardiel's hardcore yeah he's a skateboarder isn't he yeah I mean it's what a lot of skateboarders think about snowboarding isn't it? but he was so good yeah well he made everyone look silly didn't he yep just kind of rocked up, did that, sacked it off. Him and Selaznik. Yeah. God bless his soul. Yeah. If last, there is a God. That was last week, wasn't it? Earth bless his soul. Yeah. I know. I was so young, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's two years younger than me. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. How'd that happen? I just like the way they rode back then. It's the over tweaks. Yeah. That's why it was so fun to watch when Roman DeMarkey came on the scene, because he was doing crazy over tweaks with the back leg and stuff. And, and you know, it wasn't as overly pronounced like you would see that we like we did back then but i i that's why i became roma became my new favorite rider when he kind of hit the scene yeah well it's coming back isn't it you know the crazy tweaks yeah i mean people are people there's some creativity coming back into it definitely 
I don't, I don't really watch anything anymore. No. After After Bang, I kind of gave up. Yeah. And and and, um, and Tim Ward and Gendel's films. Yeah, well, another classic set of British snowboarding films there. Yeah. So you were um, so you finished these films, and then presumably I'm trying to get to the point because then the, you mentioned it earlier, but then you became Van's team manager, right? So where yeah. where does this fit into the story? Yeah, they. I think I just. Vans were sponsoring the movies, so I got Vans to be one of our sponsors, and um, and then I went to the just the the UK guys, and they said we we need a team manager for Skate and Snow. Do you want to do it? I go, well, I mean, I'm I like skateboarding, but I'm pretty crap at it. But you know, I know who's good, and I can find out who's good. But snowboarding's my thing. Yeah, I'll do it. And then I worked for them for about eight months, and and my payment was a laptop and a printer, and I was like, well, I I kind of need to get paid for this job, and I and then I end up just building that those teams up even took over bmx for a bit because zach shaw was having some problems with his misses and i was running all three teams you know going to vans every every month and sending out packages and you know i remember i remember when i first saw scott mcmorris ride i'm like please tell me someone's already signed this guy you know i was blown away but i was riding and i look at alan green he's like yeah i got him and then i went to him later and i'm like so you're riding for you know 32 and he's like no i'm not riding for anybody i'm like all right, you want to ride for Vans? And then boom, signed, signed him up, you know? Put Russ Bross on Switch. <laughs> um, yeah, Just, and built those teams up. Yeah, and you, you had some amazing riders, didn't you? Yeah, Skateboarders. Dan, Danny Wainwright, yeah. uh, Franklin Stevens, um, God, Ollie Todd, um, Blaney Hamilton. Um, you know, and Ollie Todd would end up getting on the international team to, you know, for stereo with Jason Lee. Yeah, yeah. So I so I said, can I put him on the European team? And his signing bonus, I I opened, me and Ed Lee opened up for um, Kings of Leon on that second album tour. They were doing some promo, and I that was his signing bonus. Really? I took him to that. Yeah, he's, like, he, he's really into his music, wasn't he? As really well. into his music. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, you got me in, dude. That was so cool. Thank you. And he's such a cool guy. And he was he turned into a little kid. It's funny watching music do that to people. Yeah. And then he's like, okay. I want to go meet him now. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't want to meet my, my heroes. Dude, you got me in. I want you to introduce me to Kings of Leon. So I took my bag of vinyl, still playing vinyl then, still doing it now. And I pulled out Youth and Young Manhood, double gatefold. And I went to the drummer. They were all smoking tabs and drinking beers backstage. And I go, can you sign this to my kid? So he wrote, what's his name? I go, Blue. He's like, Yo, Blue, keep on rocking Molly's Chambers, which is a song about a prostitute's punani, right? Yeah. And then uh, I went to the, drum, the lead singer, Caleb, and I, and I got him to sign it, and I go, can you sign this for my kid? He's like, what's his name? I go, Blue. He's like, you my boy, Blue. <laughs> he wrote it from <laughs> old school. And then we end up just smoking and partying with him all night. And then Bush just won his second election that day. Ooh. So Pete Derricks, who was the head of Vans Europe, came over, and he was just bitching. I go, man, don't bitch. Don't bitch about it, because if these these guys are from Tennessee, they might like Bush. And then we found out later in the evening that they were all going back to London, and Pete needed a ride. They go, we'll give you a ride in, the, in our tour bus if you want to jump in with us. Pete's like, really? Cool. They go, yeah, as long as you don't mind that Bush Cheney poster in our front window, you're cool to come. <laughs> and Pete's like all ready to punch him. I go, dude, they're messing with you. <laughs> they do have senses of humor. I remember when we were in Colorado, though, and we, we, spent, we were in the lift with the PR girl. Spent the whole lift slagging off Bush. And, and then we get to the top and she goes, I voted Bush. <laughs> oh, did, really? Yeah. And we were like, 
Awkward. Yeah, just don't talk politics. No. So this is the chicken with the sauce. This is the Alabama white sauce, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's so good. It's really tangy. Oh my God. And you've oh. got some more meat on the barbie. Yeah, I thought I'd put a two and a half kilo topside on there. Yeah, just that. Um, <laughs> and I've got... I mean, it looks amazing. Some portobello mushrooms to put in there too. And I got some potatoes. We're going to do some smoked potatoes and I'm going to do some dirty onions as well. Dirty onions? What's that? It's when you cook the onions straight on the coals. Okay. Um, so whenever we go on tour... We, in the morning, we get a big bag of Spanish onions. Yeah. And we get the grill going, and we just put all those onions on the coals, cook them for about an hour and a half. Right. Let them cool down. Yeah. Peel off the black stuff, and they just go sweet and gorgeous. Then we chop them up and roll them in um, cider vinegar, and then we we roll, and then we mix that with uh, carved rare roast beef because we were bringing back British barbecue. Because what what do what do the French call you guys? Uh, the roast beef. Well, d'accord. You call them the frogs and they call you little roast beef. But you put beef in an oven. That's not roast beef. That's baked beef. I don't want baked beef. I want roast beef. I, I want beef to be kissed by fire. So we do whole cow leg on open spit. Wow. And it's just sells out Crosby, by... Uh, Crosby's mouth water over it. Yeah, I saw him trying to lick that, <laughs> that top side. Yeah, anyway. It must be hard being a dog around there, I've got to say, with all this. Uh, yeah, but he does eat good. Yeah, I bet he does. Bet he does. <laughs> so this is so this is what you're going to do for me now? You're yeah, gonna we're going to do a roast. We're going to do a roast. We're going to do roast beef. Brilliant. Amazing. I'm excited. I like your beard, dude. Thanks. Getting there. Yeah. yeah. It's getting grey, though. Yeah, I know. Getting really grey. Want some advice? Shave it off. <laughs> no, no, number two. Number two, yeah. Yeah, so I got I, I pinched the ex-wife's JJ clippers, <laughs> and then whenever I get a bit too much gray coming in, because I am 49 now, yeah, uh, yeah, it takes away a bit of the gray and lets that red shine through, the yeah. little strawberry blonde, you know, look at the you. Little, the little strawberry blonde. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How still, old are you now? I'm 40 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. When was that? 40, no, last year. Oh, okay. 41 <laughs> in June. Whoa. 41's one of those ages, isn't it, where it's just a bit like... Man, 40's a good one. 40 was good. I like 40. I, I like was, 40. I was happy about 40. I'm looking 40 hitting 50. So when's that? Uh, I just turned th 49 February 24th. And how's that picture in your attic doing? The picture? <laughs> <laughs> You've got like a really aging picture up there of you, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, well, my, the girl I'm dating at the moment, let's hope I'm still dating her when this comes out. Um, she's a 39-year-old midwife. So you're 39. Yeah. That's what you're saying. There we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, want, I wanted to ask you something about that part of your career that we were just talking about, because the way you tell it, it's pretty, oh, and then I met the guy from Sony, and then the next thing I know, I'm doing like Jamiroquai videos, and you know, like you, you tell it super casually, but when you look back, do you think, you, do you think it was the right place, right time? Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, because I was so into music, and I was so into British music, and then getting into, and meeting the right people at the right time, and you know, going to these kind of music parties and it was a very rock and roll lifestyle back then. And then, but you know me, I'm very open to meeting people. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it, I always think you make your own look, you know, I mean, I'm, I mean you, you know, like yeah. from, from knowing you and, and knowing the way you create you, your own luck, the yeah. way you go about your business, you know, like mm. you, you sort of say, oh, yeah, you know, then I'm, like you make it sound like kind of happenstance, but I don't think it is really a lot of the time. No, I, I like, I'm, I'm interested to know what you think, though. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've always had a pretty crazy, varied career. 
I mean, when we were when we were doing the snowboard films and that kind of started to finish, you know, I was doing the team management and then I was, I think I was, I did a show called Chili Factor for like world broadcast. That was like action sports. Then we did the pilot for Rad in 96. Yeah. And then Rad, you know, ran for 10 years. It was one of the longest running shows in Channel 5. And when we were shooting that, I ended up meeting some people from MTV. And then they got me to present MTV for three years, a snow, a show, a snow called snow, Snowball. So I got to go snowboarding around the world. I remember going to spend the day with Jake Burton in Italy. And I come out with the same setup. As him. As him. And I go... Oh. <laughs> I, I was like, you planned that. No, I, I, you know, I, I know I wanted that Johan Olsen with the split tail graphic, yeah. the one six three, the classic. What a what a board! And um, I had the Vikings, like, because I, I basically had to go to Burton in, in Austria and pick whatever I wanted. So I, I, boy, I picked the Johan Olsen one six three and the supermodel one eight one. Wow! <laughs> you have to make reservations to turn. I was going to say, when did you ever ride that? Like twice. <laughs> <laughs> No dome. Yeah, and uh, and he, and I remember asking Jake, so what are your f- top five favorite boards you've made? And you know he went through the Cruiser, the Safari, um, the Elite, and then he goes, and the board you're holding right now, Christian. Really? I go, this Johan's in your top five of all your boards. Like, yep. He's like, don't ever sell it, and I haven't. You still got it. I still got it. Awesome. So yeah, so at the same time as you were making films, you were um, managing the Vans team. You were a TV presenter. I mean, we haven't even talked about that. Yeah, you've just said <laughs> Rad. Ten years on Rad. I mean, there's the you've got behind you. Obviously, people can't see this, but there's a BAFTA on the on the shelf. The first know? BAFTA that for Channel Five. Me yeah. and Peppa Pig won it because they mean, were on the same table as us. I mean, that was an amazing part of your career. Yeah. So, what do you remember about those days? Just. Um, I was directing music videos. I had an agent in this company called Sunset and Vine, and they and this person says, "Hey, do you want to do a pilot for this new network starting up called Channel Five? You know, back then it was just BBC One, Two, ITV, and Channel Four. So I'm like, "Well, I got to go back and make Still Tripping, but I need the money right now, so I'll, I'll do a pilot." So I did this pilot. And I went down to Liverpool Street um, with Danny Wainwright, and we just tried to skate, and we kept getting busted. So I wanted to talk about the, illegal, the, the illegality of skateboarding. That was my little feature. And then I, my opening of the show, I bombed Liverpool Street holding a VX1000 with the big fuzzy microphone on it, filming myself. So when you look at the footage, it's just sh- stuff shooting by me, but my head's center frame. And I'm presenting kind of that way, but everything's moving, but not you or me, even though we are. And the network, like, we love it. We want 23 shows. I'm like, oh boy, maybe I can make a movie and do this. I said, I'll do the pilot, but I don't want to do the show. But then they give you well, a show. Well, who else is going to do that? Right. Yeah. But this was all off the back of High Five. Yeah, which was the Saturday morning show, right? Yeah, so I was the voice of that in 94. And then so I got... how did you get that? Do you know what? I didn't even know that. And I used to watch that show. That was you. Yeah, I was the voice of High <laughs> Five for two seasons. 94, 95, I think. Yeah, Bob Callway, who ended up, I ended up hiring to direct me at Rad... He was working on that and just saw Blindside and called me up and said, you know, do you want to try out for this? And I said, I can only do the, if I can do the VO, but I can't do any camera work. And then but I got Jim to do some stuff because I was working on another project. So, yeah, I ended up doing High Five. Then that moved on to Rad. And then Rad, Rad was like a magazine type show. It was like 10 minute show, a part of the mag with Vernon Kay hosting. And, and then we, um, but I... Then we started going half hour, so you know I had to 
come up with more stuff like Search for the Holy Rail, Trick of the Week. You know, we started covering the X Games. And I remember, I remember going to the X Games in San Diego and this is when Tony Hawk was like nothing, you know? Um, but I think he was starting to work on that new video game and the first one he did and, you know, but Vert was dead. And, um, but I would always, I, I remember selling Tony skateboards at a shop in Ocean City back in 86, 87. And um, so I was always interviewing him because I was like an uber fan from when he was a kid. And he was winning everything. And, and so I would always, you know, ask him pretty good questions. I remember everybody else like, you know, how do you feel? And everybody, you know, asking dumb questions. And I said, he won the Vert gold medal, threw the medal to the crowd. And then um, there's this queue of about 24 journalists lined up with the head of international ESPN to interview Tony. And I'm like, look at Bob Callaway. I'm like, we've got like 10 interviews with a guy. <laughs> Why don't we just go home? <laughs> and, uh, and then... As we're packing our gear up, the woman from ESPN comes over and like, taps me on the shoulder and goes, Tony wants the British crew with the American guy to interview him first. So he requested us. Nice. So I go, oh, okay, Bob, get, get the camera gear, get the camera gear. So it pulls out our VX1000 and I get my, my mic. I go, did you just try to do a 720 stale fish? He's like, yeah, I just learned it like two weeks ago at my friend's ramp. You know, he's like a little kid, you know, just in his head. Cause you know, all of a sudden, you know, Vert's kind of have a little, a little rebirth. And then the video game came out and the next, you know, Tony Hawk's like the biggest name in the world. I'm just going to put the charcoal in and move this over there. Cool. Sorry. All, all good. good. Just going to keep it on the clock. Hi. Tony Hawk. Yeah, so Tony Hawk, um, you know, so, I mean, I must have interviewed that guy about 30 times, 40 times. We, I remember taking the Groms, like, you know, year, year five into the, the Rad Series, and Tony was doing, like, the gigantic skate park tours, and, and I took the Groms backstage, all these young skateboarders I had on vans, like Harry Bray, Ross McGowan, um, and, I, and I go, can you give these guys any advice? And I'm, Tony said the best thing, he's like, you know, when you're, when you're trying to become a skateboarder, you're amateur, you're pro, and you're on tours and you might just turn up at some skateboard shops and they have just a crappy mini ramp with holes in it. And you're just thinking, oh, I don't want to skate this. But you got to, man, because people have come to see you skate. So just do the best you can with what you're given. And I thought that was a really good yeah, bit of advice. Yeah, amazing advice, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it explains a lot. Yeah, he's a, he's a, I mean, I think he can't believe it all went crazy for him again with the, with the Tony Hawk pro skater game, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. So you're at this stage then, you've basically got three three jobs, TV presenter, film producer and director. Well, you're doing voiceovers yeah. as well. I was doing three shows a week. Yeah. I was the voice of World of Windsurfing. I was doing Chili Factor, Rad. Team Vans. Vans. Well. Yeah. I had like five or six jobs at the time. Yeah. I mean, you have got an incredible work ethic, I think. Like, I, I haven't worked for three months, buddy. Well, not now. <laughs> I have just moved house and taken full custody of my kids, so put, it's a uh, put the curse it's, on that. <laughs> it's a bit of a dip. Now I'm, I mean, I'm working today. I just made a uh, a, a, a deboned chicken thigh smashed sandwich in Alabama white sauce, and I took a photo of it. They'll have to go up tomorrow because I have a contract with B and Q because I'm I'm helping them promote their summer range of grills. Nice. So there, we're, we're having a party in Soho Square that I'm DJing at Saturday. So this is one of your uh, latest, yeah. latest projects. Yeah. Well, the biggest one I just did with Hellman's, man. Hellman's, 
Helm has been awesome. We did a, uh, they built me a grill that responded to my turntable. So whatever music I played changed the way the, so I was like playing Ramble On by Led Zeppelin and, you know, the, the, the gas jets of flames were doing, you know, just going bum, 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 you know, you know, and then I would play some hip hop or drum bass and they would just be a bit more consistent, you know? Amazing. And then they made me a machine that cooks the best burger in the world. And then they go, we want to send you around the world to find Grilltopia to find the best food and fire. Oh, you worked with Giles Corrin, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. What was he like? Man, that guy is smart and funny. And we were, we, we were like on this eight-hour journey from Puerto Alegre to the Uruguay border of Brazil looking for like the best meat. And you're in a van with him in the back and, you know, for seven hours. I just go, Giles, the Bible, how many times have you read it? He's like, oh, probably a dozen times. You know, he's very well read, incredibly intelligent. You know, his sister's the most successful uh, female poker player in, 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 Curran, in yeah. Europe, European history. Yeah, she does the columns, isn't she, in The Observer? Yeah. yeah. And she's a TV presenter as well. And right? she's married to David Mitchell from Peep Show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tyler, good genes. Good genes. So Giles, Giles said to me, well, the Bible was written a thousand years after the events took place. So, you know, a lot of those events are skewed. And uh, who remembers anything, you know, the day after, let alone a thousand years after. So uh, it's a good bunch of good stories, you know, and... Now he's all these wars waging over it. <laughs> so there's those kind of conversations. And that's, so that's a great gig. Oh, to spend a, a, like a week with Giles Corn. Plus he's got VIP treatment, first class in a lot of those airports. So that's always good to... Nice. He nice. likes to drink. Does he? <laughs> he likes a good party. Good lad. Yeah. I mean, it probably a good point then to, to talk about the, uh, the DJ barbecue years, really. So... I think I was saying this to you earlier. So we did a trip around the States together, didn't we, with a big group of people that we've referenced a couple of times, like the Groms Ride the Rockies. But yeah. on that trip, you said to me, I remember it very clearly, you were like, yeah, I think the next thing I want to do is like barbecue chef. And, um, <laughs> and, you, and you've, you've done that. So like, where, where do we start with that? Like, where, you know, where did... I always took a grill on tour because I thought you should feed people good food, good fresh food. So I took a grill on tour and I remember trying to put my food, my love of cooking over live fire in the show. And John Leach, the executive producer of Rad, says to me, Christian, it's a skateboarding show. It's a snowboarding show. Quit trying to preach barbecue. It's a kid's youth show. And I'm like... Okay, and then one episode, which won the BAFTA that episode. I broke out uh, like a kettle, a Weber kettle, next to a pool in, I'd, in, a, no, in, in Oregon. We were at a River Falls near Klamath. It had one of the best skate parks in the world. But there was a hotel. You had to stay at the hotel to skate the pool. They never filled the pool because the owner took it over. And he kept seeing these kids jumping over the fence to skate it. And he's like, I just said, well, if you want to skate it, you got to stay here. I mean, it was a piece of shit hotel. Yeah. But um, we put a bubble machine there. I cooked breakfast burritos, and I flew ben, a young Ben Grove over, 18 years old, to skate with Ross McGowan and Chris Vile and Sam Bruce, um, Lucy and Clark. I mean, it was a it's a, quite of a who's who now. I mean, look who we took on the on the tour with you. Yeah. We took Ben Kilner. You know, how many Olympics has he gone to? Three now or two? Three. Patty, Patty Graham. Patty Graham, Murray Buckin, Laura Berry, um, James Carr, who did the stunts in Chalet Girl. He <laughs> dressed up as as um, Felicity Jones. So he was Felicity Jones' stunt double. There's another little, little claim for Carr. Um, and, but, you know, we always cooked. And so 
I kept trying to put food in there. I got it in that episode by the pool, the grill, me. But it was when I was DJing. So when Rad finished, like my life went weird. I, I, so when I just, was that? When did Rad finish? Rad finished. We went from 96 or the year, 96, 97 to 2006, 2007. So 10 years. And then I just had my third child, which I delivered myself on my living room floor. Uh, right. Frazier. Um, cause the midwife want, didn't want to talk about that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The midwife didn't turn up and, uh, the nine, nine, nine lady taught me how to deliver a kid. So the, uh, the ex-wife, uh, got on all fours and I went behind her and they said, put pressure on the Virginia. And I went to do that. And there was a head sticking out and she just starts yelling at me. They're really slippery. Support the neck. So I'm listening to the nine, nine, nine. The thing is I'm trying to DJ as well. Cause you know, I want to play some music cause I had a mix <laughs> tape ready to go. And, um, and I had to move everything around because I couldn't get Nye up to the birthing pool. And the kids turned the birthing pool into a fort. So I'm patching that and trying to fix the hot water heater. And, and we ended up just doing it all fours in the living room. And um, I just, out comes the, uh, out comes Frazier. Hey, leave, leave him alone. Crosby wants to join in. Yeah. And um, he's, he's begging for food. Uh, so, yeah, I just basically... My neighbor was over there, and I go, because no one turned up. Midwife, uh, I called the ambulance. I called everything. No one's turning up. So I, my neighbor is there, and she's like, what do we do? I go, I don't know, get me a towel. It's what you see in the movies. So she runs downstairs and comes back with a flannel. <laughs> I'm like, I look at her. I'm holding the flannel, looking, you know, you know at the ex-wife's butt, and, um, which is in the air. And I go, I might need something bigger. So she's flustered too. You know, we're like, we're delivering a baby, you and me. Yeah. So she runs downstairs, hands me a towel. As soon as she hands me a towel, I stick it underneath Naya's VJJ and out pops Frazier covered in poo. And I'm looking at it and I'm, and it's not moving. And I'm like, oh God. And then um, my friend starts, Claire starts massaging its, its heart and it's, you know, right here and it starts flinching. I'm like, oh, that was a good idea. And it starts flinching and starts you know, moving and breathing. And I'm like, oh, wicked. And Naya's like kind of looking over her shoulder, you know, back at me like, well, what is it? You know? <laughs> and then there's the famous Stevenson balls. <laughs> My nickname was Elephant. That's when I was in college. And uh, handed her the baby and I was all ready to, and they told me, I had, I'm thanking nine 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 lady. Thank you so much, Karen. Oh gosh, thank you. I can't thank you enough. I want to go to the superhero store and buy you a cape. And then she's like, Christian, well done. Now it's time for the placenta. And I go, no. <laughs> Your work here isn't done. Didn't want to do that. Anyway, luckily, as I went down to do the placenta, a little car turns up outside with the midwife in it, the ambulance, and then the fire brigade. Wow. They all turn up at the same time. Um, and then we, um, so I, they come in. I'm covered in myconia and poo and just all the fluid. So I went to the back door, took off most of my clothes by my wet jeans, threw my clothes in the backyard, washed up answer the door. They all saunter in like they're going to deliver a baby. I'm like, been there, done that. Can you do the next bit? Cause I don't want to do this bit. They go, what? Really? The baby's born? I go, yeah. And then they just did the afterbirth for me. Wow. And then uh, we had a party. I think we're throwing a party. And what tune were you playing? Come on, that's what I need to know. A kind of burst. This is the first day of your life. Perfect. Don't make go. me cry right there. <laughs> How good is his new album? I haven't heard it. It was Bright Eyes back then, right? It was Bright yeah. Eyes, yeah. Um, it's good, man. Barbary Coast and then the new song is wicked. Uh, but yeah, first, this is the first day of your life. And I think a My Morning Jacket song came in after that. Right. And then I think Jackass by Back, back Off Elderly. So no, no afterbirth delivery for you? Nope. We just had a party. And you were saying that this was around the time that... Um, Rad was cancelled and things were getting 
So things, things are changing, let's put it that way. I lost my two big sources of income. So I lost Rad, but it had 10 years run, so I had a good run, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then Nick Street came into vans and cleaned house, started afresh. And then I um, had no way of supporting this house that you know I had, you know, with the pool and all that stuff. And I was yeah, like, Yeah, you had the place in Cookfield in Sussex, right? Yeah, so I remortgaged the house to pay the mortgage, and then I. I uh, didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, I had a weekend show there with Ed Lee. At Kerrang. Yeah, and then he, he left, and I kind of carried on. I got Tim to come in, and then I, then they offered me the full-time show, 7 to 10 at night. So Okay, so, so, this is, so what, how did you get into Kerrang? So this is like radio DJ, right? Yeah, so me and Ed were doing a, a, a weekend party show on Friday nights. You and Ed Lee? Called Amped. Okay. And we, we were doing the Rock Copter for Total Rock. Yeah. And Ed would just turn into Satan during the show. So you'd be you'd be playing rock and interviewing you know the darkness, and then there and Ed would just go die mortal because he was Satan Whoppercock, three time reigning UK air guitar champion. So, something unbelievably that I forgot to ask him about when I what? interviewed. I know I've had a few people pick me up on that, but you know, just so much to talk about with Ed. <laughs> well, that you forget that he was three times reigning uh, air guitar champion. Well, can we talk about what he did to win the third? Go for it. He built an eight-foot penis out of chicken wire and paper mache, <laughs> and he hooked up a nine-liter fireworks extinguisher to the top of the bell end, and then at the end of Whole Lot of Love, he ejaculated on the crowd for the he finale. His, he got his wife to uh, to operate the ejaculate. Yeah. Real, that's real love right there. That's real love. And um, So he was bringing this into your Kerrang! show. Mm-hmm. But he... And, you know, to the Total Rock show. Yeah, he did it to the Kerrang! show, too. He turned into Satan a lot, yeah. But... Everybody, right then, the air guitar went crazy, and they kept saying, can you endorse the best air guitar in the world ever? Can you endorse this book? And he's like, fuck off, you know. Satan died in a pool of his own spunk. He drowned in a pool of his own spunk. That was his thing. Yeah. And um, he just kind of buried it. And uh, and then, and I remember, we were, we were the weekend guys. So we ended up getting the Friday show, and it went so well, they gave us the Saturday night slots. So we were doing like, you know, a four-hour show on Friday, four-hour show on Saturday. And then we would go to... Uh, Reading Festival and do interviews and uh, no, we were at Reading Festival doing a, a vert ramp across some Libertines and Beck and Deftones and Arcade Fire. So we were, we had all the top vert skaters and BMXers and we were doing a show, and um, we got there and I think um, uh, you know just drinking and having fun in the darkness. We we're playing in a VIP room, and they played uh, "More Than a Feeling" by Boston. Big and big shout. Ed brought back. By the way. Nirvana stole Smells Like Teen Spirit from Boston. Yeah, he kind of said that in a few interviews, didn't he? That he caught that riff from there. Yeah. You can kind of hear it. He sped it up. Yeah. And um, so Ed resurrected Satan Whoppercock and Bez was there from the Happy Mondays. And I know Madonna told me to quit name dropping. And and well, Bez, if you're, gonna, if, if you're gonna drop a name, Bez. And Bez was like stoked because he's like, man, I I watched Rad, and I'm like, what? I listened to Happy Mondays. I used to play you guys, you know, Hallelujah and Step On and all those great songs. And um, so me and him were just kind of, you know, chatting, and then we're watching Ed, and Ed's going crazy, man. We're, you know, and the crowd's loving it. The whole crowd stops and just watches Ed do air guitar because it is a feat. It's a, it's a sight to behold. And Ed starts doing this windmill where he he go he just kind of goes off each foot like a windmill, and he's really getting into the song, and then he misses his front foot. So he goes from his back foot and then kind of, you know windmills to the front and he misses his front foot and just slams from way back here right to his face and knocks himself out 
But but while he's on stage, while he's, with yeah. the darkness. Well, he's on the floor, you know, um, <laughs> uh, VIP. Yeah. And most of the crowd by this time are on chairs because they're all watching Ed. And I'm looking at me and Bez are looking at Ed and we're looking at each other. And we're like, oh, man, I was going really good. And it was the part of the song when it goes all, it breaks and it goes all mellow. When I'm tired and think I'm cold, I look into my music to start the day. And Ed rises from the ashes to that bit. <laughs> and I think of a girl I used to know and I wonder why. And, and, and Ed comes up with the song and just kicks back in the whole tense going ape shit for Ed. And, and me and Bez are like jumping in there, double high-fiving to Ed coming back, you know, from the dead, you know, <laughs> doing his, he went from Satan to Christ, you know, on Easter. Um, and yeah, that was Ed. And anyway, so yeah, we did Kerrang! for a while and I ended up having to move up there. Yeah, you moved to Birmingham, didn't you? Yeah, well, I got hit by the tax man with a crazy investigation and they slammed me with a 20,000 pound bill and they added another 30, another 10 and they went to like a 50,000 pound bill. Wow. So. Ouch. I was just trying to stay out of jail, so I um, showed that I had an income, and I gave the government 180 quid a month for the rest of my life, and they didn't put me in jail. And I went up there. I was a weekend. I was a weekend dad. Just had my third kid, and I was going up there Monday to Monday to uh, Friday morning. And, and that went on for a couple of years, didn't it? Yeah, I did Rad 2007 to 2009. So that's when. So I did. I did. Sorry, Rad finished in 07. Vans finished like two months after. Got the job up there, you know, about a half a year later, and then I was just going there from for the weekdays, yeah, doing a live show. It was great because I was. This is when like MGMT were just starting out, Cage Elephant. So I was championing these bands, but these when they were playing like the Bar Academy, they wouldn't even go to Academy Two or the Academy. This is like tiny little bars. This is how come you know absolutely everybody in music, right? We, I mean, I, I like to champion. Yeah, but you, good, but you, you, you are incredibly well connected. I mean. You know, you'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I was hanging out with a guy from the horrors the other night or whatever. Like, you know, well, well they came and exactly. I, this I, is I took them out from... record shopping. We bought a bunch of hip hop and then they played a gig. And afterwards, I took them out clubbing. Well, to a, a bar that, you know, did would do lock ins. Same thing with white denim. I would, you know, help them close, close all their gear and take them out parties. Cage Elephant. I mean, I was I watched MGMT Cage play Bar Academy, Academy 2 to the Academy. I watched all that happen within a year. And when I saw Cage Elephant at a XFM gig, um, like for 200 listeners, they're coming off stage and the lead singer, Matt Schultz, I see him coming through, because there was no, there's no backstage entrance to, the, to go to the VIP. You have to go through the crowd at the Barfly in Camden. So I, I just put my hand out and I go, Matt, it's Christian you know, from Kerrang! And he just holds my hand and pulls me backstage with him. And this is when they did that, that third album, Melophobia, where it all went crazy. And then they went on, they opened up for the Black Keys and then Auerbach produced their fourth album. And um, he pulls me like there's what the hell, Christian? And, uh, and then Brad, his brother, who's guitarist, goes, this is the guy who gave us our very first play ever on radio. This is the guy that believed in us. He's just telling everybody in the room. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, I was like, oh man, thanks, Brad. And, uh, you know, it's just nice when those kind of moments happen. Yeah, definitely. And, and I'm still really good friends with um, Tom First from The Horrors. I mean, I met up with them at, in San Francisco when they were doing Coachella, you know, opening up for Radiohead. And then they came to SF and did a couple gigs with Black Angels and... We would go out and go record shopping. I mean, he, he actually found Empire Strikes Back, Double Gatefold, you know, picture book. and uh, Ah, that's where you got that from. Yeah. Right. Tom found it. And I go, okay. 
if you don't want that, <laughs> I love I'm, it. I'll be glad. I'll gladly purchase that. Yeah. It was me, him, and Josh, and we 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 have a good time, man. Well, and you won two Sony awards, and we won to, we won two Sony awards, and we're on. I'm on my second year, and I just signed a a two year deal. I was a year. I was a half a year into it, but XFM wanted me to come and do breakfast. Right. And I was thinking, well, I'll be good. So I was. I didn't sign my contract yet, and I was half a year in. And then we just won the Sony Award. No one was celebrating. And I'm like, why isn't we just beat BBC? We beat everybody. Why are we won Best Radio Station? We should be going ape shit. The head of sales was embezzling money. He was taking that Carpet World money and just somehow cooking the books. And right. And the station had no money. Right. So they got rid of the news department. They went central with that. They got rid of tech and online. And then. Uh, and then, but right before all this, my, the boss says to me, have you signed your contract? I go, no. He's like, you should sign your contract. And he winked at me and the boss had just had two kids. He had two little girls and he knew I just had my third kid. And I called my agent. I go, I think Gordon's trying to tell me something. He's like, you know what? Sign it. XFM's being weird. You know, they want you to be, you to commit before, you know, I go, I want to know I'm, I got the gig before I commit and lose this job. You know, I need the money. They basically, I said, can I be made redundant? After I signed the contract, I'm like, right. you know, there's, there's, there's no way they'll get rid of me. So I did it on a Friday. Next uh, Tuesday, my boss comes in and goes, you're redundant. Year and a half payoff. So that, that paid a lot of bills because we were running, living on credit cards and, you know, I had a 50,000 pound, you know. So I knocked a lot of everything off, but I still owed a shit ton of money. But I, it, it kind of... Not a straightener, but it kind of made me solid again. Yeah. Livable. And did you then roll into going full bore at DJ Barbecue? So during the summer to make extra money, I was going to festivals and DJing. I was yeah. touring with um, Rock Band, that video game, you know, with the full band. I was taking that into festivals. Yeah. I was doing the Drambuie Nail Bar with Cat McKenzie and Emma Reynolds, who down does the VIP at Glastonbury. Cap McKenzie, who built House of Vans, we were touring this kind of cocktail bar that I was like DJing with all these cool DJs, and we were just playing music for the crowd. And I think we got voted best best bar, best sound system at Bestival one year. And um, and I was at Rockness on the banks of Lochness, and I had a full tent, fifteen deep, going great. Toby was DJing me. Cuban Brothers were on the main stage, banks of Lochness, and. I'm looking at this crowd and girls start taking their tops off. Guys getting naked. I'm looking at this crowd. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do when I'm 50 or 60? I can't keep playing to young, naked 23-year-olds. <laughs> and that's when I had the epiphany. I know. I'll bring my love of barbecue with my love of DJing and create a, you know, a catertainment area called DJ Barbecue. And, that, and then I started calling myself DJ Barbecue. Got two friends to help invest in it. And we bought some smokers. And we just learned the whole catering game. And which, that was, what, 2009 then? About then? Yeah. To, well, no, I came up with that. I started DJing under the DJ barbecue ma monocle, mo moniker, moniker, moniker. It's always good hanging out with a, a journalist who keeps a pocket thesaurus and a dictionary in his backpack. Uh, everybody, <laughs> Matt Barr is the smartest man I know. And, um, and then around 2012, we patented the name, did all the licensing and then you know, did a couple gigs. And then the next year we started doing festivals, 2013, really properly trading. Yeah. And then, um, and then, but I still had no money because I was giving up my weekend work as an MC and a DJ to put it into food. So, what, do, talk me through what you do at the festivals. Then we build a sound system, and we build smokers, 
and we cook everything over live fire. We don't use any electricity apart from powering the sound system and the, and the, and the, warm, the warming plates or the warming box, the yeah. Bamarese. And we cook everything over fire. So I was running this cooker and we had a pretty big menu then. And I was like doing like four or five different things in the smoker, using every inch of it to cook stuff. And, and everybody wanted to talk to me, but you know, my guys were like, come on, you got to cook, you got to cook. But everybody wanted, cause I was doing FHM. I was the food columnist for FHM for three years. So people knew me from that food tube started up and, and, uh, with Jamie Oliver and, and you know, they, they, I was the first signing to that. So how did that come about? Well, I was. I wrote this pilot called Grills, 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 where I barbecue with rock stars. And at the end of every episode, it was kind of like Cribs, you know, with cooking, a cooking show. Yeah. And at the end of the show, my whole thing was the band or the artist has got to do a cover of Girls, Girls, Girls by either Jay-Z or Motley Crue, but they have to sing Grills, Grills, Grills. Um, High concept. Thanks. Uh, and, and the woman who started Fresh One with Jamie Oliver, Zoe Collins, who produced like Zoe Ball, um, she started Fresh One with Jamie. She directed it and she really believed in it, but they showed it to the networks and to like brands, like, and everybody's like, he's the extreme sports guy. Right. He's the action sport. He's the, he's that rad dude. So everybody's like, you know, he's, he's got no history in food. So that just got shelved. And then I got a call back, you know, like half a year later saying, you know, we're going to launch our own YouTube channel. Now we can give you history and food. We can show your penchant, your love of barbecue, and that you yeah. know what you're talking about. So I just started busting out videos for them, and then they were then they go, "We want to launch your own channel, and we'll produce it for you. We're going to charge you for it, but not much, like 200 quid a video." And then I started making my own video. I was doing weekly videos on Friday, so I was building up my audience there. Started you know working on the Instagram and Facebook, and just started building this brand. And luckily, with you know, FHM was quite popular. Yeah. So I was able to really build a brand within a year instead of you know five or ten years. Yeah. And then um, we just quickly started beating all the channels, and, and then we, we became number one in Europe. And Google was flying me around the world to talk on behalf of Google and Jamie to say, "Hey, brands, you know, quit advertising on net network TV. Come to YouTube because this is where people are consuming media. If you're you know, if you're over the age of 18, you don't consume media the way the, my kids do. You know, they, they're all YouTube generation. Yeah. And, uh, and next thing you know, I have another career. So, but because I wasn't working on weekends do, to get paid, I was working to build the brand. I had no income and it got to the end of the summer and I couldn't pay the mortgage the following month. So Jamie Oliver got me a book deal with Penguin with a 10,000 pound advance. And his people said, listen, we'll give you 5,000 right away just to kind of get you back on your feet. But my two partners wouldn't let me write the book. They go, you can write it as Christian Stevenson, but not DJ Barbecue, because we're DJ Barbecue. And I'm like, yeah, sure, we are. We're, we're, we own it equally, but let me do this. I'll give you a cut of the book sales. I just want to write this book. I need the, I need the deposit. The problem was they were, they were turning up on the weekend, maybe Saturday, Sunday. I've been there Monday to, sorry, Friday to Monday, because I'm doing the build and the takedown. And, and all the cooking in between. And they were just doing the logistics and you know, running front of house. Yeah. But, you know, it was, it was my, uh, I was working it the most. And then they were going back to their nine to five jobs on weekdays and they weren't paying me because we just kept investing the money. So you had to change that. Yeah. So um, I borrowed some money from my dad and I bought them out. So they tripled their money in, in about two years or a year and a half, really. Cause the brand blew up like that. And then um, I got this book deal. So I was able to 
get you know get get an advance, keep my mortgage paid. How was how was writing the book? Do you enjoy that? Yeah. Well, the problem was my I went to. They asked me. I go. We. I go. When do you? They offered me the deal. I go. Wow. I got a book deal. When do you want? They go. I'm thinking. You know. This is like near the end of the su- in the summer. And they, they go. I'm thinking. You know. What January? You know. You'll give me a couple months. They go. We need it in two weeks. No shit. Yeah, no shit. I'm like, you, how many recipes? They go, 50. Oh, you want me to write 50 recipes in two weeks? Why did they need it that quickly? They wanted to turn it around. Right. And I was like, I'm going on holiday with my family tomorrow to Portugal. Now, I can do this in Portugal. I'd rather just enjoy the time. They go, you know what? Give it to us when you get back. Start. We'll start you two weeks from when you get back. So I go on holiday, and I had a lot of my recipes written down, like a lot, you know, or at least the process. My laptop blows up. Right. I lost a year and a half of writing. Wow. And with that deadline. So, but I, I kept going to Apple trying to save it. And then luckily Jamie's people were like, well, we've got an IT department and Jamie hired the head of uh, Apple genius labs. Let him have a look at it. Right. So I, I show it to him. He's like, all right, leave it with me. I'm going to try to fix this thing. I go, but I've already got a meeting at Apple. They was like, well, I can fix it for free and give you more memory and RAM, or you can go to them and they're going to charge out the yin yang, Christian. So they, can, they can fix them. <laughs> I knew it. Well, he fixed it, <laughs> but he lost a lot of the, my writing. Right. So I did have to start from scratch, but he's had a computer to work on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the day it was coming back to me to be fixed, from being fixed, I was asked by Jamie to DJ a party. For him and the guy who started Instagram, who just stole sold Instagram for a billion to Facebook. And I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be writing a book for you, dude. Uh, you know, I don't really. Okay. You know, you can't say no because Jamie got you the book deal and he's asked you to DJ a party for him and Kevin from Instagram. Okay. So I go to this party and um, I set up, I, I'm setting up all my system. And I'm DJing. I'm just trying to get through this so I can go home and start writing my f- my first book. And I look up and and I remember seeing the the guest list. I'm like Cheryl Cole, you know Boris Becker, you know it's like a who's who. And um, and and I and I'm thinking they're not going to turn up to this. So I start DJing and I look, and I look up and there's all these hot eye actresses and models, like beautiful women. I'm like, oh my god, this this looks all right. And then I look to the left of this beautiful, tall woman, and there's Jared Leto staring at me. Now, of course, I am wearing the Stars and Stripes spandex outfit, and because um, I always get bored of watching DJ, so I started getting outfits custom made. And so I had this really cool number made when when Ed Lee and Tim Ward and I hosted the Olympics in London. We did the BMX racing. We were the live guys. You know, Ed was the TV guy. Another story. So I'm wearing this outfit, and Jared's watching me. He's like, "Oh man, Jared Leto's here. I'm like, I got to play something really cool." So I think I played some, um, you know, some cool Prince old old school track, you know, pre Purple Rain, like Erotic City or something like that. And then, um, but I had to wee. And the hard part about wearing the spandex is you got to <laughs> unzip from the back and take it all off, or at least you know, unwrap yourself. So I put a CD on that could play a couple songs in a row, so I can go down to the toilets. Little did I know there was a handicapped bathroom right next to where I was DJing, which I found out. Could have used it. Could have used it. But if I did, this wouldn't happen. I run to the stairs. This is where the 12-inch of Fool's Gold comes in handy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Wish I had that. Damn it. Good call. Anyway, um, I'm running to the stairs, and here's David Loftus, who's going to be my photographer for the book. Right. Jamie's photographer. The man Mm -hmm. has shot more food books than any other man in the world, 180 cookbooks. 
Um, he's like, Christian, Christian, come here, come here, come here, come here. Very posh. He's good friends with the royal family. And I found out right then. He's like, DJ Barbecue, Pippa Middleton, Pippa Middleton, DJ Barbecue. And I'm just thinking to <laughs> myself, what is the one thing that no one would have ever said to Pippa Middleton? So I spun around without even saying hi. I go, hey, Pips, can you unzip me? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, okay. She unzips me. And I go, thanks. I really got to do a weed. I'm doing the weed dance. And I run downstairs and I'm kind of laughing at myself that I just said, you know, unzip me to Pippa Middleton. And she just got voted, you know, best ass in, in one of those m magazines. Finish my weed, come back upstairs. And then and I apologize to her. And I go, sorry, Pips. She's like, no, that was funny. I've never been approached with that one. And then I go, well, can I get a photo? And she's like, yeah, of course. So we get a photo, me, her, and David Loftus. And as I'm running from them, kind of smiling and laughing, I'm still looking at them. But there's a packed, this place is packed now. I run over Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and I'm like, and he's laughing at me, too, because there's this tall, lanky dude, you know, in an American flag jumpsuit. Um, very tight. You can tell I'm circumcised and he's laughing at me and I apologize for knocking him over, knocking him over. And he's just cackling. He looks like the wicked witch of the West sometimes, you know, with that nose and, you know, kind of, and then, and then next to him was boy George. So I'm like, Whoa. So I run behind the decks, get, get some tunes back on. And I look over by the wood burning, um, pizza oven and there's tiny Tampa talking to Boris Becker. <laughs> <laughs> And it was like that. And I remember at the end of the night, I finished my set, and it's just me, James Nesbitt, <laughs> by the bar and, a, and the staff, who he ended up taking the entire staff at four in the morning to Duck and Waffle, ran up a 2K bill, and paid for it. Wow. James Nesbitt's a good dude. Good lad. Yeah. And then the next day, I went home, and I didn't write my book, because I was hungover. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you went home and watched that deadline sail past. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, I, I did finish it in two and a half weeks, though. Yeah, well, um, and it... It did well, right? Went straight to number one. I was the British Barbecue Champs. I don't think Penguin realized they released it the day before the British Barbecue Champs, right at the beginning of barbecue season. And um, I was all blearied and hungover from smoking meat all night. Then I walk into the site, Grill Stock in Bristol, and uh, my phone buzzes and I look and it's a message from Jamie Oliver saying, how the fuck did you do that you just knocked me off the top spot you you have the number one book on amazon congratulations i'm very proud of you and i go what really thanks but you know your, your name's on the book too jamie so thank you you know yeah right and um it stayed there till about sunday and then jamie took took it over on sunday and then i went back to number one on monday and then by tuesday he was number one i was number three and Mary Berry was number, th no, I was number two. Mary Berry was three. And I go, Hey, Jamie, man, you, you and Mary Berry are bookending me. He's like, nah, mate, we're spit roasting you. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie's very Essex. That's, that's, that's quite a mental image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad Mary's behind. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. So, so how many did you, um, did so, you sell? So hot. I think we did about 60, 70,000 copies. Wow, that's amazing. It just went back into the charts. It's in the top 100 again. Well, I bet, I bet every summer, you know. Or, when you, because I'm the barbecue guy now on, on This Morning. Yeah. Uh, so, Philip Schofield, he gets me on the show and he knows his barbecue. Right. And I was on for like my third appearance and I said to the producer, can I get another book plug by the Silver Fox? They go, we can't do that. But what I will do is I'll put your book underneath the grill and I'll tell Phil it's there. And when you're done with your segment, Phil might do something. Phil does what Phil does, and he doesn't get in trouble for it. I'm like, oh, okay. So 
End of the segment. Phil reaches down, picks up the book. Huge plug. Next day, number one. Really? It had been out for a year and a half, and Philip Schofield sent it back to number one. The Schofield effect. Oh, my That's God. That's the power he's got. What a powerful man. What are they like? Is that a laugh doing that? Yeah, it was good. Apart from the time when I was um, backstage at Big Festival, and I'm partying with this dude, and I go, man, dude, holla will it boobies here? And he's like, it's my wife. <laughs> You mu- to be fair, though, you must do that a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I didn't feel that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you've done amazingly well, right? You know, it seems like yeah. from, from our conversation 12 years ago, I'm going to do this. It's not been a quick journey. No, but a quicker one, I think, because of social media and signing up with Jamie and FooTube, which is yeah, now at 3 million subscribers. My channel's at 163,000. I got a quarter million subscribers by myself on all my social platforms. Well, social media seemed like the perfect medium for you. And you you instantly, well, it seemed like you you got it straight away. And you were- Why wasn't it around with Rad? That's, you know, I got, I was there. I filmed the 900. That's our footage in all this mayhem. Well, there you go. Because ESPN wouldn't sell it to him. Right. They came to us because it was on YouTube. But you've been super smart with the way you've used it. Was that just, you just sort of worked it out, figured it out? You know I'm a social human. Yeah. And I like to entertain. You know, like even when we're on tour and I'm just trying to say, here, you're going to drink your coffee out of a Krispy Kreme mug. Yeah, yeah. Because it's got that cool lip feel and, you know, it's good for your coffee. And, you know, and what I liked about you on that tour was whenever we would go to a place I wanted you to eat at, you were like, all right, you're ordering for me. Yeah. You just let you go, just let me do the ordering. And that that's become now the 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 norm with me. Yeah, oh man, I was like I'm I'm, I'm getting schooled. I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think when social media came, you know, I was embracing MySpace because I was a Kerrang and that worked for that, and then that kind of died and then I got onto Facebook and and then you know, I had one video on YouTube and it was me puking from a rad episode, you know, called Rad Puking. And uh, that had 7,000 views. So then I started working that and it just, it made sense for me. Um, and it, it just, and you make, it makes you global. Yeah. You're a global brand instead of a British brand or an American brand. Yeah. And what, so you used a quarter of a million subscribers across the different platforms? Yeah. Across yeah, I mean, all my it's, platforms. It's a, it's a huge audience, isn't it? Yeah. And I that's, mean, I think I did that in about three and a half years. Yeah. And it's, and you're, and, and I'm old, <laughs> you know, it's not a young man's, it's not an old man's game, YouTube which is why I wore the spandex because everybody in barbecue are really overweight. You know, they have the, that tucked in t-shirt holding in like, you know, a hundred pounds of belly and they're bald and they, or they look like Santa Claus. And the number one guys are barbecue pit boys. They look all like Santa Claus. They're yeah. amazing. But I was like, well, I'm, I want to go for a, a more broad demographic. You know, I want kids to think I'm a cartoon character. I want women to watch me because I want women to watch me. You know, I got to work the milfs and the gilfs, you know, and, and I and that's my demographic. It's, it's all over the board, you know. It is male skewed, but you know it is all over the board. Well, and it's been it's been really successful for you, hasn't it? Mm. I mean, it's been integral in in building this thing, hasn't it? Really? Yeah. And it, how is it working with uh, the guys at Fresh One and, and Jamie Oliver? Are they, I mean, would you, they've been pretty integral as well, right? They've been wonderful, and Jamie's been one of the best mentors. And we were cooking at one thing, and he looks at me, he's like, "You know, I used to watch Rad." And I go, "He did." Cause it was right when he was doing a naked chef and I go, cool. He's like, Christian, you had really long hair. I just didn't recognize you for a while until I figured it all out. But I used to watch rad. I'm like, Oh, cool. I used to watch naked chef. And, um, 
and he just kind of mentored me and, you know, he always gave me good advice because he's made all the mistakes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I started DJing all his parties and his, uh, his wife's 39th or 40th or 38th. He hired out a, he remember the night, I think it was a 39th. He hired out a roller skating rink and they asked me to DJ it. And I'm, I go, who's going to this party? And they go, well, it's just her and her friends. I go, there's no guys. They go, well, Jamie's going to surprise everybody. And I think he might bring Dexter Fletcher. I go, so just Jamie and Dexter Fletcher and all and about 50 hot 30, 40 somethings with no one to look at them looking hot like because they're all going to dress in the 70s we're always getting gear or early 80s i go you need some men there so i said the pa's running and i go i'm at motorcycle live i've got you know all these cool bmxers you know ben hennon um bob manchester adam gendel tim Woolward. i go i'll bring them down we'll we'll throw apart we'll, we'll at least and so i got there they're all waiting for the party guests to arrive. I go backstage and I I, I got in the two biggest make, makeup artists on YouTube, the Pixie Woo sisters, to do Jules and Jamie's makeup. So Jamie was doing the full, he was wearing an Iron Maiden shirt with a David Bowie Ziggy Stardust face. And then I'm in the chair getting my makeup done. I think I asked for a cosmic, ex, cosmic explosion on my face. And Ward and Gendel come up and they go, um, you got any extra spandex outfits? And I go, what do you mean? They go, everybody's dressed up and we're not. I go, I brought them all. So I gave them all my outfits. And, <laughs> and the only one I had for Genda was Santa Claus in spandex. <laughs> I'll show you the photo, dude. And, but the cool thing with my boys is they're all pretty good, apart from me and Gendel. We're okay. But Woolwood's amazing. Tim Woolwood does all the backwards stuff. Oh, I, bet he, I bet he loves it. But you know who's better than everybody there? Apart from the woman they hired to, to teach, Dexter Fletcher. Really? Is Fle one of the best roller skaters. Fletcher's I've got ever moves. Seen. He's got moves, man. He was doing all the laid out backwards stuff, you know, full sweeping moves and dancing, you know, when they do that thing when they do the crossovers and stuff and the stepovers. <laughs> oh, Dexter was amazing, man. He's cool. I, I like hanging out with Dexter. I went, I went to um, David Loftus's wedding in uh, Marrakesh a couple months ago and I'm walking through the Sook and I run into Jonathan Yeo, you know, one of the best artists there is and uh, Dexter Fletcher, Jamie Oliver and Jason Fleming right <laughs> in the Sook. Come on, Christian, let's go. Let's go. And Jamie hired out the hotel, uh, uh, an apartment in the, the Elfen um, in Marrakesh. So he's got the, you know, I think two floors. He gave one floor to Fleming and Dexter to share a room had his own balcony, his own waiter, and we just hung out. Nice. Then I, I DJed the party, and uh, they told me, you're doing an hour set. There was no other entertainment. I did a seven-hour set. Wow. Okay. And, and half the crowd were from Australia, so they just jumped in the pool. And then Dave's like, oh, can you tell me to get out of the pool? I'm like, They're, oh, all right. Kept telling him, can you guys get out of the pool? And then he came up for the third time to tell me, and I go, you know, it's your daughter that's pushing everybody in. <laughs> I know, but she's having a great time. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil her fun. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> your daughter's the instigator here. <laughs> so, where where is it at now, the DJ barbecue? It's um. Oh God! You've got your, you know, talks about your book. Talks about the festivals. What what are the plans moving forward? The plan was to do the restaurant, and that's what I was doing until about two months ago, when I got pretty much almost full custody of my kids, majority custody of my kids. And um, 
So I was living, I was trying to raise them from January in a one bedroom, which is not easy. It's quite volatile because three growing boys, 16, 13, and 10. And then trying to get them back in school. They haven't been in school for two years. So I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like a single dad raising three boys. Big life change. Yeah. And then I only moved, I moved to a three bedroom, which we're in now, you know, a couple weeks ago. This, this is a godsend. Yeah. Um, and now I'm trying to figure out how to, earn a living and be a stay-at-home dad. So I've, you know, I've got the, the festivals are all, I'm doing the same ones I did before. Yeah. Hosting, curating, DJing, cooking, running my business. Um, we're building an online store. I just signed up for Patreon today to see if I can maybe raise money just to keep making videos. Cause my channel costs me about 1200 quid a month, but I only get about a hundred bucks in ad revenue. Really? You got to get millions of views to really make YouTube work for you. But you know, you live in the same city as PewDiePie who's what 39,000 or 40,000, you know, subscribers. And but that guy's pulling in a hundred thousand a month or something like that guy's huge. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out what's the next step for me. And, I'm hoping I can get a. I'm hoping I can get a second book deal, um, which would help me out, so I can write that from home. And uh, is that is that on the cards? Met a couple publishers, and you know, just talked to one recently, and I'm just hoping something happens. And uh, Penguin said the market's you know saturated with barbecue books. I'm like, but I'm out selling them all. And, uh, you know, I'm not here to take away from the pie. I'm here to make the pie bigger. I'm here to champion live fire cooking, you know, because I curate and host Meatopia. You've been doing that since the beginning. And we have, we have Francis Malman to open it up last year. Dude, you'll love this. Nicholas Ekstad's there. And I'm like, who's Nicholas Ekstad? And all my chefy friends are like, who's Nicholas Ekstad? He's the, he's the poster boy of live fire cooking. He's like S Swedish tourism's poster boy. So I'm like, maybe I should meet this guy since I'm hosting him on the stage, you know, in a couple of days. So... I go find this beautiful, long-haired Swede, and I go, hey, uh, Nicholas, he's like, yeah, I go, I'm Christian. He's like, yeah, um, I'm working with you in a couple of days on this main stage. I'm like, yeah. I go, so I was like, you know, so have you always been into food? He's like, no, I used to be a pro snowboarder. I go, oh, I, I used to make snowboard films. He's like, what'd you make? I go, well, we, we made Day Tripper and Odd Man Out. He's like, I've seen them. I go, I go so, 94, 95, 96, said, yeah, 96, 97, that was my time. You know, I go, who'd you hang out with? He's like, Jakob Soderquist, and he starts name and checking everybody that we know. Right. Jakob Willemsen was a bit younger then, but you know, yeah. it was that Swedish kind of, right. but he knew Bachman, he knew all those guys. Really? And then he got into live fire cooking. Right. You know, and then, and that was his next career. So all of a sudden, we're really good friends. I was like, well, you, you seem to make good friends with Nicholas really quick. And um, he comes back on the Saturday. So I called, uh, no, he comes back on the Sunday. I call Swedish Tourism and uh, we're going to fly you up to come snowboarding with me and cook with me in my restaurant. And I go, you call Swedish Tourism on a Saturday? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. He's kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so is a good, guy. Is there a good community between all the, the, yeah. the, the live fire cooking community? There is. And when they saw me come and they were they just thought I was all, all gimmick and a lot of it was, but they, you know, were like, you know, and I'm over the top gregarious and, you know, cause it's a big thing in the States, right? Well, yeah, well, of course. And it's very big barbecue. And, um, and I wasn't doing the traditional kind of stuff. I was kind of, because I've been living around the world and making snowboard films. So I've, you know, I've traveled Pakistan. I've done the Karakoram highway, Lebanon with Gumby and Axel Peporte and Yannick Amavet. I've done some crazy trips, Ecuador, um, you know, Babish Charlet. Um, 
you know, and I've, and I've eaten good food. So I've just seen all this, how they cook food and spice it. So I started taking my world view of food yeah. with my American roots and started kind of mixing American spice rub blends with a bit of North Africa, You're adding ground cumin and ground corianders to your salt, pepper, onion granules, garlic granules, brown sugar, paprika, which is the classic American rub. And um, so I kind of just brought in my food to be more worldly, but using American techniques and then learning other techniques. And, and they were suspicious of that, were they? No, they were just suspicious because I was over the top American. And wearing, wearing spandex. Wearing spandex. <laughs> yeah, stars and stripes, catsuit. But uh, it's funny, a lot of these guys who I just respect, like Neil Rankin and Niall Davidson, you know, Neil's got temper, Niall's about to open up his new place. They were like, you know, they, they even tell me, you know, I didn't like you. I go, I know. But it didn't take long. And, and then Niall even calls me every two weeks or so. You know you're one of my favorite people. You know, and this guy looks like an angry elf from Lord of the Rings. Um, he doesn't suffer fools. He thinks everybody's a <laughs> you know. Um, but he's my boy. And I, and I champion these guys because they're good people and I love what they do. And they're amazing artisans and chefs and butchers. And, and I'm just trying to, like, kind of preach the word of live fire and also preach, you know, eat less meat, really. Um, we need to be as sustainable as a planet and farms need animals and animals need farms uh, and commercial farming isn't good for anybody, but we have to feed the planet. So if we can eat less meat, but better quality with provenance, you know, and traceability, we can still eat meat because we, our bodies do, is meant to digest animal fat, you know, butter's good. Trans fats are bad. And that's why America's fat. All that overeating and cooking everything in trans fats, you know, it's just, you know, vegetarian's gonna kill the planet, you know, all that vegetable oil. That's what's gonna hurt you. Butter's good. You know, which what 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 um food item won the grand champion at the Taste Awards last year? A beef dripping from Ireland. Pat Whelan's beef dripping, which we used that at the big grill over there when we were basting our leg of cow, you know? Well you I mean the supply chain is really important to you, isn't it? And, Very. The, pe and the people that you collaborate with is also really important. You know, you it looks like you really choose carefully who you work with. And, and I try and, to champion, you know, mom and pops, small butchers, yeah, family-owned people, family-owned businesses. You know, one of my favorite butchers is Nathan Mills in Forest Hill, and he buys straight from the farm. So you go to look in his his you know dry aging area, and there's like 30 cows in there, and he can tell you every farmer that's raised it because they all have a passport. You know, he buys whole animal. So on the Monday, he's getting ready to, to take apart with his crew eight cows. And he's got to find homes for all those parts. Because most people want the, the forequarter or the hindquarter, you know, the, you know the, 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 where the shoulder is or that back bit. But there's, you know, he'll break, he'll do seam butchery and find like the second most tender muscle in the cow, which is on the shoulder. It's called a terrace major. You don't find terrace major. It's like an almond-shaped muscle. It's like a, called the faux filet by the French. It's a great tender muscle. And it's on the shoulders. It's got great flavor. And he champions these kind of lost cuts or hard to find, hard to get out of the cow cuts because you can just chop it all up and make, that's the chuck muscle. So that's like a good, that's what the classic burger is. So I like to kind of champion these things and let people know where you can, you know, buy a flat iron steak, which is like the third or fourth or fourth most tender muscle in the cow for half the price of the, the, the prime cuts, the ribeyes, the, the, the tenderloin. Oh, by the way, you know where the word sirloin came from? I think it was King James II or Henry II that had a roasted loin muscle from a white park, which is one of your most ancient cows in this country, British. 
and he was so blown away by the taste, he knighted it sirloin. And it was the white park that was sent by Winston Churchill. He sent a couple of male and females to America when the blitz happened to kind of save the species in case they got decimated. Really? Yep. I didn't know that. Yeah. So what, um, what chef, who's your favorite chef right now? Niall Davidson. He, um, I, this Irish guy, I met him at Lockhart. He went to help with Chiltern Firehouse for Nuno Mendez, and he's now building his new live fire restaurant. And um, it's going to be over in Old Street. And I think, I think Niall Davidson will be the most important, one of the most important chefs, live fire chefs, uh, this country will put out, or Ireland, this country will put out in the next three years. Right. Um, I, I like what Neil Rankin does. Um, you know, I'm, always, I'm we're all fans of Francis Mallman, Aaron Franklin at Franklin's in, in Austin, Texas. You know, one of the best briskets. He learned how to weld first before he learned how to, you know, he wanted to make his cooker you know his smoker yeah that he's gonna cook his award-winning brisket and next thing you know he's in chef you know with jean favreau um yeah I, and i i luckily for me i get to go on stage and interview these chefs you know alia hercules from the ukraine she's an amazing um chef and i'm really now starting to understand palestinian foods middle eastern you know eastern european because they're all live fire, you know. They've, we've maybe come into indoors cook on gas and electricity for seventy years, but a lot of those countries are still fire, you know, making their own fuel. Yeah. So I'm just learning. I'm just that's what I love about food. Is I'm just there's so much to learn. So it's like here I am, forty nine, and I'm like a a student again, you know. There's so much to. It's like I'm a sponge, just learning all these techniques and how it all works. Yeah, well, it's brilliant. I mean. It's coming through in what you're doing as well, isn't it? Mm, you can, well, yeah, I got to come up with a video every weekend, every Friday on my channel. So it's like, what am I going to do today? Okay, I'm going to do a Zatar spatchcock chicken, which is a Palestinian Middle Eastern rub, you know, and I'll finish it off with like a little honey glaze, you know, and then I find another sauce from Alabama, Alabama white sauce, which you had on that smashed chicken thigh burger. You know, it's just, it's just, there's so much to do. You know, I will not run out of content when it comes to food. So what? If you had to cook one last meal for yourself, what would it be? It'll be a ribeye, like about two and a half, three inches thick. Neil Rankin showed me this technique. I think he got it from Adam Perry Lang. And I smash it with a frying pan to make it more flattened. So it's about an inch and a half by the time I'm done. Of course, you let it rest for about a, about two hours because you want it to re relax. You want to re re always rest your meat before you cook it, especially beef. And then I slightly score it with a knife, especially get that fat going, get that fat opened up, and then hit it with some salt. I never put pepper on my steak until the end when it's kind of resting because pepper can go acrid and burn. And then I uh, just cook it, you know. I get that crust going, and then I kind of move it away from the heat and make sure the middle gets cooked, and then I put it back. And it's, just, you know, it's a nice process. So I'd cook that with some smoked spuds. Um, Loads of like a, a kind of a grilled vegetable salad, you know, on there, maybe some asparagus and um, yeah, big vegetable medley, smoked spuds with sour cream and chives and a, um, a ribeye medium rare because you want it medium rare. So those fats render down because the fats, the flavor and luckily for the British, you guys, you know, your animals eat the best foliage and fauna, you know, ground ivy, red clover, all these beautiful grasses and it rains a lot. So your animals eat awesomeness. And so, yeah, that fat, if it's, you know, good fat, it'll come through in the meat. And that, to me, a ribeye, medium rare. That's it. It's making me hungry. Sorry. Well, we, we've got a top side. I'm hoping to send medium rare that uh, we're going to carve into in a bit. Yeah, we should go. And, do we need to check on it? Or? I think we do need to check on it. Okay, let's go and do that.
So, one, two, one, two. Awesome. You know what we should do? We should record the sound of jealousy. You ready? Yeah. Okay, tell me when you're ready. Are you recording? Yeah, I'm recording. Okay, this is the sound of jealousy. So the guys um, that I did rap with, uh, Wayne Yates, um, who now runs like Red Bull, one of the commissioners over there for their media, um, whenever I wasn't working or when he wasn't working, but he, we knew the other guy was working, we would call him and go, dude, just sitting back, you know, having a cold one, and I just wanted to, you know, invite you to the sound of jealousy. And then if it was a can, it makes a really good sound, or it's like, you know, that. That's pretty good, though. That yeah. pop. That's pretty good. There you go, that's for you. Oh, thanks. So, there's your beer. Thank you, man. I'm gonna do the sound of jealousy to mine, okay? Let's see if I can get one. Don't you hit the trash can, Crosby, when I do it. Crosby's in the doghouse, yeah, the food. Not, not, the, not the beef that we're gonna eat, but, yeah. Cheers. Thanks for a great interview. So talk, talk us through what we've got here then. We've got a nice 2.5 kilo cut of topside. And um, I got some smoked spuds. So I, I made some of my own coals and threw some um, wild cherry wood in there. And then I did these dirty onions. So they're going to cool down. I'll take all the black stuff off the outer layers. So when you, if you get onions, just throw them straight into the coals. The bigger, the better, because those small ones will disintegrate really quick because all the moisture will get sucked out. But do realize that onions will suck the heat out of there. And uh, yeah, so we're gonna, I'm going to chop those onions up, you know, beef and onion, you know, what doesn't go any better than that. It's going to be good. And some uh, smoked spuds. We've got some sour cream and Brilliant. Some, I'll chop up some uh, spring onions, scallion for my friends in, in North America. I'm sure you have a big North American you know, listenership. It's actually my uh, biggest country. Believe it or not. Really? Yeah, I was surprised by that as well, because the first few have been pretty UK-centric. But yeah, most listeners in the States. Huh, same, got, same with me. I've got a guy in Brazil. There I've we got, go. I've got two guys in India at the minute. Hmm. Look at you, you're, you see again, we're talking about world brands. Early days. Looking sideways. Well, you know, two, two out of 1.2 billion. It's a start. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, how many is on the planet right now? No, it's in India. Uh, just 1.2 billion? Just in India. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And my, you know, minus two. My two listeners. There we go. Um, anyway, I'm going to wrap it because that's two hours. I'm going to have to split it into two parts. There's so much stuff there. But <laughs> let's have a cheers. Christian che Stevenson. Thanks, thanks, Matt Barr. You're a good man. Not many of us left. Wowzers. What a man, eh? What a life. What a storyteller. I love Christian, as I'm sure you could probably tell. I'm counting him as a really close friend and before we did this it had been years since we'd managed to spend this much time together and it was so fun catching up and going over old life and times with him like I say I know for some people that's definitely going to be a little bit in joking name droppy but I hope you can uh, forgive me just this once normal service will be resumed in episode nine of the looking sideways podcast for that episode I was fortunate enough to speak to Tom Kay the man who founded Finisterre and that's a great talk about how he built one of the UK's most beloved surf brands. And there's a lot to get stuck into there. So keep an eye out for that one. So there you go. That was episode eight of the Looking Sideways podcast. Thanks again for listening to and or downloading the episode. It's going well. People seem to really like it. I've had, begun a month, I've had 35 star reviews on iTunes. So thank you so much to everybody who made the effort to do that. I just say the same thing that I say every week. And incidentally that I've noticed every single person in the world who does a podcast says, please subscribe on iTunes. You can also find it on Stitcher and Overcast these days. Please share on social media. Please tell your friends about it. 
please go over to the Facebook page and find the thread where we're talking about future guests. I'd really want to hear everybody's ideas and feedback and potential questions. So yeah, um, get yourself over there and have a look and take part. Thanks very much. And uh, until the next time, thanks for listening. See you later.